Welcome everybody to episode 63 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. There are some exciting interviews to come, which will cover people from different decades and clubs. I apologise for the lack of content in recent times. However, synchronising my timetable with potential interviewees' timetables has been hard, but please be patient. And remember, I sincerely appreciate the people who support this podcast. While researching the upcoming interviews, I'm reading about different and interesting periods in the Illawarra game. It occurred to me it may potentially be beneficial to record some podcasts regarding this material, which is derived mainly from newspapers. So, in each of these review episodes, I will pick a month from yesteryear and read through the information from newspapers, programs and other items that I have obtained. Now, the majority of this material is viewed through the prism of the journalist or person writing the article and all the people they are interviewing. So there will be counter views regarding the games, people and clubs that are presented in this podcast. Plus, there'll be some errors with the spelling of names and mispronunciations by me. For that, I apologise in advance. Please be aware this podcast will not examine everything that occurred in the month being reviewed. And we'll have information missing, and of course there may be errors. The idea of the podcast is to relive a small parcel of what was happening at the time. So from this perspective, I hope you enjoy what is presented. In this episode, we examine June 1981. Prior to reviewing the month of June 1981, I will give a slight background of the width and breadth of Illawarra soccer in 1981, and where some of the competitions are up to coming into the month of June. The Wollongong City Wolves are in their inaugural season in the Phillips Soccer League. Coming into their first match in June, the Wolves are in sixth spot in a 16-team competition. They play their games at the Wollongong Showground, and their first seven home games averaged 5,460 fans, which, for myself, uh, I was quite surprised, but knowing the support that the game in the Illawarra had in the 1960s and 70s, it's not a total surprise. Ken Morton, the former Manchester United apprentice, was their inaugural coach, and the side he had assembled are surprising the other clubs in the PSL. Other coaches at the club are Dick Evans, the youth squad coach, George Ramage, the goalkeeper coach, and Scott Boyle, the strapper. And back to Wollongong Showground for a moment, an interesting fact that happened prior to the season starting in 81 was one of the Wolves' board of directors, Jack Zania, and a couple of his friends had to fix holes in the Wollongong Showground fence before the start of the season, as people could potentially walk along the beach and come into the ground for free. And they had to do this themselves as a club, as the Showground Trust didn't have the finances to fix the fence up themselves. In regards to the Wollongong Wolves playing squad, they had the likes of Preston, Vardareff, Fleming, Dunleavy, DeGraff, Ainsworth, Lathan, Adam, McBreen, Tredenick, Fontana, Kay and Campbell. The Wolves, under the chairmanship of New South Wales Parliamentarian Laurie Kelly and Secretary Richard Drake, are putting together a very good inaugural season with sponsors such as Westfield Shopping Centre and Wollongong Leagues Club. 
to give further insight into Wollongong City at this time. Here are some of John Fleming's thoughts on Ken Morton and the squad he put together in 1981. Ken obviously had a pivotal part, part in that. He brought uh, Kristen Levy, John Latham and myself from England to the club and numerous other players from Tasmania, from Newcastle and um, uh, from Wollongong. And uh, we, we bonded pretty quickly. And, uh, and I think Ken Morton had did, uh, really done his due diligence with the players that he uh, collected here. And he had a good... Um, a uh, good group of experienced players mixed with a lot of inexperienced players, and it worked well. Now, let's return to the 1981 commentary. Former Illawarra Premier League powerhouse Ferry Meadow, who are coached by Hugh Tinney, and have Walter Chishkan as their secretary, had moved from the IPL, after winning the double two years in a row, into the New South Wales State League Division 1, which is the second tier of the New South Wales State League. The top tier in 1981 was named the New South Wales Coca-Cola State League. At this point, Mickey White tells the listener about Hugh Tinney, the Ferry Meadow player coach. Was he player coach that year? He was player coach, yes. And Huey is your typical old-fashioned Scottish centre-back. If you can't get the ball, get the man. Not as... Deliberate as that, that? Well, I've said it, but but he was pretty subtle about it. He was he he made sure no attacker gets past me, and what he used to do, but he used to get Reggie to do all his work for him. You <laughs> he'd just stand around waltzing at the back and say Reggie over there, Reggie over there, Reggie over there, and <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, he was a tremendous bloke, uh, Huey, a really ge- a gentleman of, of the sport, Huey. There's no question about it. Mickey White describes from a Ferry Meadow player's perspective how they felt about going from the Illawarra Premier League into the second tier of State League. Absolutely. It was, yep. let's go for it. Let's go for it. And what happened was, um, they put us straight into State League Division 2. Wow. Normally you had to go from 5 to 4 to 3 to yep. 2 to 1, right, obviously. Yep. Promotion, relegation scenario. But they accepted us straight into State League Division 2. <laughs> So we were playing the Reevesbys, the Karingais, Bathurst, uh, the second tier, um, you know, uh, Sydney clubs. And, and we were up for it. We said, yeah, no problem whatsoever. Yeah, let's go for it. And, and we, would, we were more than equal to them. We head back to the 1981 commentary. Additionally, another club in Wollongong United, who were coached by the former South Coast United player Mike Johnson, were in the New South Wales State League Division 1 with Ferry Meadow. Wollongong United are in their third year in the New South Wales State League. Coming into June, Wollongong United were at the top of the table, while Ferry Meadow were in fifth place. The Illawarra Soccer Association ran three divisions and has George Naylor as the president and John Munro as the secretary. The top tier of the Illawarra Premier League consisted of 12 teams. Coromel Rangers, coached by Wally Miller. Berkeley, coached by Bob Evans. Shell Harbour, coached by John Bingham. Bulleye, coached by Tony McDonald. Coniston, coached by Robert Fryer. Balambi, coached by John Frew. Tarawana, coached by David Naylor. Lysarts, coached by Les Sheedy. Fernhill, coached by Daryl Glover. Cringilla, coached by Vasco Sekoloski. Shellhaven, coached by Dave Norwood, and Oak Flats, coached by Mark Vinton. Currently, and surprisingly, Berkeley are on top of the table with 15 points after nine rounds, with Fernhill in second 
and Coromel in third place. Coniston, who were touted at the start of the year as favourites due to their strong playing squad and because they had won the Charity Shield Coromel Leagues Club knockout and the Bulleye Seven Aside competition, were in seventh spot. Down the bottom of the table, Cringilla were in last spot on four points, Lysarts were second last on six points, and Oak Flats were in third last on seven points. In the first division, there were 12 teams. Rurilla Sports, Helensburg, Russellvale, Rurilla Wanderers, Adapto, Port Kembla, West Fig Tree, Unidera, Wollongong Sports, Winuna, University of Wollongong and Crown United. Currently in the first division, West Fig Tree are the leaders, which is no surprise. The club in 1980 were the IPL first grade grand finalists and club champions but were kicked out of the Illawarra Premier League for 1981 because their ground, Graham Park, wasn't considered up to standard. In regards to West Fig Tree's demotion to the First Division from the Premier League, here is Ian Witheridge's view on why they were demoted and how they went in 1981 in the First Division. We didn't have a, a fence, a wooden fence around the ground, they used to rope it off, basically. Yep. So we, because we didn't have the wooden fence, we actually got dropped. And that caused a lot of controversy. Obviously, we were all in shock, I guess, with the decision. And um, you know, I couldn't believe, obviously, finishing second and being demoted. And especially that year, Ferry Meadow went to um, the State League. So um, you know, that's quite a big chunk to leave. But um, it really just brought us together, to be honest. You know, we're just um, we're all mates um, playing together, a lot of juniors, you know, so willing to stick, stick with the club. And it really just brought us tied together as a, as a, as a group. And that really actually led to um, was probably one of the reasons why we had such success there in the early 80s because um, we took, I guess, harnessed that yep. and uh, was determined to show that now we belonged in the Premier League and, um, and you know, went, obviously got back up there winning the first division that year quite easily. Now, let's return to the 1981 commentary. They were not alone in this respect as DAPTO were demoted to the first division in 1981 as their ground, Lakelands Oval, was not up to scratch in the eyes of the Illawarra Soccer Association. In the second division, there are eight teams. Arras, Coldale, Warrawong, Balgowny Rangers, Kemblawarra, Albion Park, Goldstar and Coonawarra. Arras are the leaders in this competition, with Balgowny Rangers following behind them. In regards to Balgowny, they had Tarawana's long-serving player and official, Ross Roscoe Emerton, as their coach in 1981. Finally, the Illawarra Soccer Association has a representative team, and prior to June, they had lost a 5-4 thriller against ACT at Memorial Park, the team being coached by Wolves player John Lathan. In one of my interviews with John Fleming, he spoke about John Lathan's background, why he came over to Australia, and how he went in 1981. John was probably towards the end of his career at that at that stage. He'd been a very um, good good player for Sunderland in, in England. Uh, he maybe have played for another club, I'm not sure, but most of his games were at Sunderland. I played against him there. and uh, But it, he, I think he came over here really with a mind to getting into the coaching. Right. And um, in fact, I think he's coaching in South Africa now. Uh, he went after he left here. He went to South Africa. He scored uh, a goal in the first game, and uh, then really um, wasn't as successful as as you would you would imagine he would have been. Um, and he left at the end of the first year. But but still a quality player to have at the start of a season when you're uh, forming a new club. Now 
let's return to the 1981 commentary. There was a South Coast Women's Soccer Association in 1981, which comprised of two divisions and the following teams. Lysarts, Dapdo, Bulleye, Tarawana, Fernhill A, Fernhill B, Berkeley Knights, Shell Harbour and Oak Flats. There were possibly other teams, however the Illawarra Mercury articles and my investigations of 1981 could not find out any further details. Thanks to Julie Porter for her help in listing some of the teams. Additionally, there is a South Coast women's representative team, which is coached by Max Shaw. After a successful period with the Bulleye Thunderbirds, Julie Porter joined the Fernhill Club in 1981. In my interview with her, she tells the listener why she joined Fernhill and what she thought of her time at that club. Plus, she details the commitment that coach Max Shaw showed to her during her career. Two or three reasons. Uh, knew the setup at Fernhill, knew a lot of people there, liked those people, had been approached by those people. Uh, the competition to me was becoming a little bit one or two sided and yep. if we could stretch it out a little bit well and good. Um, there were a couple other ladies coming on board at Fernhill who I would be delighted to play with and, and yeah, as I say, more so it was the setup and, and to try and expand the game. Exceptionally good times. Exceptionally, yeah. Played some really, really good soccer with some really good people, but had a really great time, really great time. Max, probably more than anybody, um, he personally would drive me to state training at St Leonard's every Sunday morning and bring me home. Um, He, more than anybody individually, is responsible for, for my representation of Australia. Absolutely, yeah. We head back to the 1981 commentary. From an Illawarra junior soccer perspective, there were the following clubs in various age groups. Albion Park, Balgowney, Bulambi, Berkeley, Bulleye, Coldale, Coniston, Coromel, Dapdo, Fernhill, Figtree, Helensburg, Coonawarra, Kiama, Oak Flats, Port Kembla Transfield, Russellvale, Tarawana, Thrill, Unandera, Shell Harbour Workers, Rilla Wanderers, Wollongong Olympic, Winuna, and Lake Heights. Mr John Valestra was the president, Mr R Smart was the secretary, and Mrs J Pohl was the treasurer. The Illawarra Churches Soccer Association had three divisions, a first division, a second division, and an under-16s competition, comprising of the following churches slash teams, Lighthouse, St Albans, Coromel Uniting, Winuna Baptist, Winuna Olympic, Vietnamese Association, Italian Youth, Wollongong Baptist, Coromel Brethren, Kaima District, Church of Christ, St Luke's Rurilla, Shell Harbour Uniting, St Luke's Dapdo, George Cross, Wollongong Salvation Army and West Uniting. Their secretary was Anne Young. Furthermore, there was a Wollongong Business Houses Soccer Association. The following teams were listed in their two divisions. Hareport, Dapdo, University, Rurilla, Ferry Meadow, Balambi, South Pacific, Mount Warrigal, Figtree, Comsteel, Police and Friends, Transfield, Coromel RSL Blue, Coromel RSL Gold, Kingsway Rovers, Noon Berkeley, Tallawarra, Waterboard, Lysarts and Bulleye Workers. Our local high schools were competing in the statewide Tasman and Bill Turner Cups, noting Winuna High School were the Tasman Cup 
winners in 1980. And although I could not find a list of the teams, there was a Steelworks Association and competition, named the AIS Interworks Soccer Association. So now that we have a slight background to the Illawarra soccer scene in 1981, let's delve into the month of June. And again, please note, the majority of this material comes via the Illawarra Mercury's Phil Murphy and all the journalists from Australian Soccer Weekly. On Monday the 1st of June, the Illawarra Mercury published the results and gave match reports from the ISA Round 9 games across the three divisions played on Saturday, May the 30th. In Round 9 of the IPL at Panorama Oval, Oak Flats lost to Balambi by four goals to two, with Mark Simpson scoring two goals for Balambi, with Giraudi and Farah getting a goal apiece. Capabianco and Ingram scored the goals for Oak Flats. At Lysart's Oval, Coniston had to come back to defeat Lysart's two goals to one. Lysart's led 1-0 at half-time after an Ian Johnson goal. Jerry Walker came on in the second half in the midfield and steadied the team. Coniston then scored two goals via Steve Quirk, which won them the game two goals to one. After a last-minute penalty save by Fabio Fabrinesi, Tarawana 2 defeated Cringilla 1 at Cream Park. Cringilla marksman Jimmy Simulowski, who scored their first goal, had a chance to equalise in the last minute with a penalty kick, but was thwarted by Fabrinesi and then the rebound was hit onto the crossbar by another Cringilla player. Tarawana's Wayne Bradford and Steve Tomlinson scored the Tarawana goals. Dave Curley talks to the listener about fellow goalkeeper Fabio Fabrinesi, who came across to Tarawana in 1981. Fabio Fabrinesi was uh, talked into coming over to the club, and he was great for me because he was a really passionate guy, he had some experience at Marconi, had some experience at, at Fremantle as well. He'd come to Fremantle thinking he'd get a gig, but then Kel <laughs> Potter was yeah. so good he didn't get, get the first grade gig there. Anyway, so then by 81, he came to Tara, and he taught me a hell of a lot. And his passion really rubbed off on me as well, because I got to train with him. Uh, so I played youth grade and reserve grade, like nearly the whole season. But yeah, when Fabio came along, and I would train with him two nights a week, and we would train really hard, and... Like looking at like tech was a long time ago, so techniques have changed a lot. And there was things he would do with me that I wouldn't do with people now, like make me dive over uh, this really hard wooden splintered stu- bench in the rain, and I wouldn't dare say no, I'm not doing that, so I just do it. Um, but he he taught me a lot uh, about goalkeeping, uh, the passion for the game, etc. Now let's return to the 1981 commentary. At Winuna Oval, Bulleye and Fernil had a scoreless draw. And at Memorial Park, Coromel Rangers fought back into their game with Shell Harbour and obtained a two-all draw. Seymour and Goodfellow scored for Coromel, and King and Robinson scored for Shell Harbour. In the final game, it was a high-scoring affair between Shellhaven City and leaders Berkeley, with Berkeley winning by five goals to three. For Berkeley, the goal scorers were Hernandez with two, Skibiris with two, and Sekolowski getting the other goal. For Shellhaven, Bryant scored two, and Knowles got the other goal. The final result means Berkeley are still top of the table after round nine in the IPL. 
In terms of the other two divisions, the notable results are in the first division in first grade, West Fig Tree 1 defeated Port Kembla to nil. And in the second division in first grade, Aris 3 defeated Warrawong nil. In the second tier of the New South Wales State League, Wollongong United played a double header over the course of the weekend. On the Saturday, Wollongong United won by five goals to nil against a University of New South Wales side with Dean Gardner scoring a hat trick. On the Sunday, they had a two-all draw with Warringah at Berkeley Sports Ground in bad weather, with both United's goals being scored by Gardner. This keeps Wollongong at the top of the table, while Ferry Meadow controlled their game against Blacktown but only managed a 1-0 win. In regards to the Wolves, they are preparing to play Heidelberg at Wollongong Showground on Sunday the 7th of June, following a one-all draw with Marconi at Bosley Park on the 31st of May where Lee Adam got the goal and Chris Dunleavy was the best player for the Wolves. This keeps the Wolves in sixth spot after 15 rounds, four points behind first spot South Melbourne. Over the course of the first week of June, the following news articles and previews for upcoming games were in the Illawarra Mercury and Australian Soccer Weekly. So here we have some articles from the Australian Soccer Weekly from the 2nd of June 1981, written by Phil Murphy. Referee Bob Doling lost his glasses while controlling the University Unidera game recently. He had taken them off because it was raining, but it seems they fell out of his pocket. Bob immediately called a halt to play and organised a search involving the 22 players. One player eventually found them and handed them to the ref. Would you believe after the game the player received the three points for man of the match? Bobby's quick to point out the player played very well. Balambi midfielder Tony Gill will be out of soccer indefinitely after breaking a leg in the recent game against Cringilla. A long-serving Balambi player and one of the last of the old brigade at Elizabeth Park, Gill was proving a big asset to help the young side. A talented midfielder and specialist penalty taker over the years, he's sure to be missed by coach John Frew. Unfortunately for Gill, Cringilla didn't have a stretcher available at their Cream Park ground and he had to wait on the ground for an ambulance. West Figtree, under coach Luke Robard, look odds-on to return to Premier League in Illawarra next season following a meeting of clubs. Figtree were kicked out of the league in the off-season after finishing second and making the grand final. They were axed because they didn't have an enclosed ground. Figtree moved a resolution at the club's meeting that automatic promotion and relegation be reintroduced, but they didn't need it. It was decided before that resolution came up that it would not be necessary for fencing around the outside of a ground in future. Figtree are currently walking away with the First Division title. One of the key players in the West Figtree side is David Green, a right-side midfielder who came up from under-18s this season. He won two Man of the Match awards in a row recently. Another key man, Phil Brown, is having a picnic now they are up against First Division teams every week. He is banging goals in from every angle and missing a few too. In the recent 7-2 thrashing of Varela Wanderers, Brown helped himself to a hat-trick, but supporters claimed he could easily have finished with half a dozen. Talking of talent going to waste, when Cringilla played Coniston recently in Premier League, Vene Nedelkoski ran out in reserve grade. This talented player proceeded to dominate the midfield and the Coniston first-team players were glad he was involved in the early game. The Ritchie family didn't know which team to cheer when Berkeley played Shell Harbour recently. Alan Ritchie played fullback for Berkeley and was marking his better-known brother, Robert. 
Berkeley have made a great start to the season and caused an upset beating Shell Harbour three goals to one. Alan Ritchie getting the better of the battle with his brother. Coromel striker Greg Goodfellow has developed a goal-a-game habit and officials hope it will continue. Up to Coromel's 2-0 win over Tarawana, the big striker had played six games and hit home a goal each time. Goodfellow had a spell with Safeway a few years back and missed a lot of soccer because of his business commitments, but seems to have hit goal-scoring form this year. Any striker in any team is worth his place if he can put a goal away each match. Coniston president Cliff Goyette finds he gets little time at home these days. As well as spending plenty of time looking after Coniston's interests, Goyette is also a director with Wollongong City Wolves. This usually takes up each weekend, and the Coniston job has been even more demanding recently with the opening of the club's new $75,000 playing complex at Kelly Park. His wife Judy can honestly class herself a real soccer widow. Henry Montenegro, who was the talk of Ferry Meadow earlier in the season, was soon unwanted by the club. He came to the aid of Ferry Meadow when they lost regular goalkeeper Kel Potter with injury during the Ampole Cup. Montenegro did a good job, but since then Ferry Meadow signed Adrian Beck from Bulleye and Potter has regained fitness. This left Montenegro on the outer and he has gone on loan for the rest of the season to Crown United in the Illawarra First Division. Illawarra referee Mario Mastriani is known in Wollongong as Mouse, obviously because of his lack of inches. The Coniston Club made a nice gesture to him recently when they completed their new complex at Kelly Park. In the plush referee's dressing room, they put up three coat hangers, two at normal height and another a lot taller. Coniston officials say that one is for Mario. A long-time Coniston junior coach, Mastriani saw the joke and he said he'll use the hanger whenever appointed to Kelly Park. The Munro household at Fig Tree is known as soccer house to people involved in the game in the Illawarra. John Munro is the secretary of the Illawarra Soccer Association and puts many hours into his role there. His wife Janet this season is the secretary of the flourishing Illawarra Women's Association and this keeps her busy. In addition, John coaches a junior team two nights a week just to fill in his spare time. One thing is certain, their phone rings more than any other in the Fig Tree area. On the 2nd of June in the Illawarra Mercury, Phil Murphy has another article regarding Wollongong City soccer supporters. In the article, it details that the supporters so far have donated $5,700 of their own money towards a $12,500 transfer fee needed to sign Newcastle's international defender, Arno Batonia. Coach Ken Morton and director Jack Zania are heading the drive to raise money from foundation members and supporters. They said people have promised a total of 14000 to the appeal, but 8000 was needed to pay the first payment today. Morton said that one supporter had said he would put in the difference if there isn't enough money by today's deadline. Board members held a lengthy discussion about the transfer, particularly Bertogna's signing on fee for this season and the start of next season. Although the supporters will be footing the bill for the original deal, the club will have to come up with the signing on money next year. Morton told the board he felt Bertogna would be a tremendous asset to Wollongong City. The board finally moved a resolution, the deal go ahead, providing a certain total amount of money is reached by the supporters. When Wollongong City did sign Arno Batonia, John Fleming was at the club. Here is his recollections on Arno. 
the Italian community, I think mostly from the fraternity, um, they raised $20,000, which was a lot of money yeah, in those days, to, um, to uh, buy him. And uh, he came over and uh, Arno Batonio, by the, by the name, he was very, very Italian. He was muscle-bound, big boy. Um, yeah. Uh, Did he buy him in defence? Yes, centre-back. Very, very, very good. Very good player. Uh, I can remember one incident. He, he had this um, thing, you know, when Ken Morton was talking, he'd uh, kind of tell him something and Arno would go, no worries, no worries. Everything with Arno was no worries. And uh, I can remember Ken Morton go, no effing worries. <laughs> Said, that's all I ever get from you. And, and throwing a bit of a tantrum and all the guys kind of, trying not to giggle, you know, because that was Arno, no worries, yeah. And he was taking everything in that Ken was saying, but he just, and I, I can imagine how irritating it got, uh, no worries, yeah. So, good player. We head back to the 1981 commentary. On that same day, on the 2nd of June, Phil Murphy details that Wollongong United coach Mike Johnson claims you don't necessarily get results by spoiling your players. Wollongong United and Wollongong City had lunch at St George Soccer Club at the weekend, but the Wolves paid a little more for their meal. They had steaks and it cost $4.50 a head, while Johnson and his team paid a dollar. That was 25% more than last time when it cost me only 75 cents, Johnson said. We went out and beat University 5-0 after our cheap lunch and City could only manage a draw. Johnson pays the bills for away meals, from the fines he places on players for breaches of discipline. This is an insight into Wollongong United's coach Mike Johnson. Earlier on in the Australian Soccer Weekly in May, there was an interesting article about Mike Johnson and his complete and sometimes brutal honesty and analysis of his players. In an article written by Brad Earl, the player in focus was Ronnie Satin. Mike Johnson sat down with Brad Earl and stated he has big raps on Ronnie, his left back. And he stated the following. Last year, when he came to us, he was a podgy, overweight midfielder. He couldn't cover the ground, and he played a ticky-tacky game, playing short passes to another player who would do the same thing. But he's now so much more aggressive. And coming forward, he's so dynamic, running and crossing balls in. He is a transformed player, and it is difficult for players to get even close to their potential. And his aggression has improved his skill which is the interesting thing. Not only Ronnie, but others as well. He is much more aggressive, covers far more ground now, and is much more skillful. You look at the determination of the Australian team the other night against Indonesia. Some people said they gave 100% effort, but I don't think so. Those players didn't come off the field panting and sweating, Johnson said. And with Ron, his skills are meaningful, particularly with his crosses and he's not fiddling around with short 15-yard passes just to unload the ball. This is sometimes looked on as a skill, but it is not. It's a wonderful thing how players can get more successful. I tell Ronnie and all the players, just look at the two lads now in the PSL with Wollongong Wolves, Fontana and Bartareff, who have made it to the PSL from our division. So there you have an insight into the intriguing coaching figure that is Mike Johnson, and that he was... Brutal in his honesty and praise for players. In this instance, for Ronnie Satin. Mike Johnson may have been a serious coach, 
but his impact on players in the Illawarra were huge. Please listen to Dean Gardner's memory of the man and Paul Giraudy's memory of him as a coach. But the next coach probably had the biggest influence on my career ever, and that was Mike Johnson at Wollongong United when I went to um, there the next year. He was a, he was a funny he was a funny man. He um, right from the get go we had to call him boss. We had to call him boss, and um, he brought a discipline into our game into me anyway that was that I thought was sort of like, uh, this guy's bringing stuff from Newcastle where he played as a professional. He's bringing professional stuff. Mike's ambition was he wanted to coach Australia. He was Frank Arrock's understudy at St George for many The year before at Balambi, I think I scored three or four goals and I was a striker. Not good enough, really. And I was fit. I was a fit guy, you know. I, I um, relied on my fitness a lot. <laughs> I wasn't the most gifted player. Uh, I didn't have that natural ability like the Giraldis and the Satins and stuff like that, but I had fitness and I had aggression, controlled aggression, mind you. But this, but Mike, he he honed the skills. He said to me, the three important aspects of football is your aggression, your fitness, and your skills. He says you've got to play to your strengths, work on your weaknesses, and that's what I did. And uh, I can remember, like, we used to train at Vikings Oval, after training, he'd keep me back and just throw two, three hundred balls at me, make me turn, make me lay it off, score goals, uh, one touch, score, head, score, and it was just incredible. And Mike was a coach like I don't think I've had any other, like just full on. <laughs> and he was he, he was second to Frank Arrock at St George, so he'd come to Wollong United. And- the year after, myself and my good mate Dean Gardner followed my brother and the Saturn brothers to Belong United, and that was 1981 because we wanted to, you know, see if we can go up another notch. Yeah, Mike Johnson was, um, yeah, pretty pretty intense sort of guy, and um, the training uh, that just it was just another level. He was a pretty strict sort of guy. He we had to call him boss. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Yeah, so that when they call him boss, it was it was a typical uh, English style yep. um, coach. Um, so he was the boss, and we had to call him boss. And um, pre-season, I remember uh, we'd be training Sunday mornings. We'd have to be there at seven o'clock Sunday morning. I remember at Kelly Park, you know, and he wasn't stupid. He wasn't stupid. He made it seven o'clock for a reason because he, he knew if he went out Saturday night, and you know. Had too many beers, then he was going to find out. So he, he <laughs> only wanted guys that were going to be serious. So and discipline, and discipline. So most of the guys were, you know, it was, yep. it was great. We and we got straight into a two-mile run. You know, this is in, this is at seven o'clock in the morning, like, <laughs> and then and then we did, then we did half a dozen four hundreds, then we did eight two hundreds, then we did a dozen one hundreds. It was just it, oh, was, it was Frank Arrock. It was it was Frank Arrock. Uh, sort of style coaching just you know get get the guys fit as you can yep and prepare prepare for the season you know because um he, he was a believer that if you if you were fitter than any other team you you'd always come out on top now let's return to the 1981 commentary another coaching insight was phil murphy's asw article on the 19th of may about Wollongong wolves coach ken morton and the statistics he collects on his players. In this article, the player in focus was Glenn Fontana and his goal-scoring average. The article stated that although Fontana, who came across from the State League, took a while to break into the side, 
he has made the most of his opportunities. He had played three full games and had been given five clear-cut scoring chances. Of the five, he had put three in the net, so Ken Morton was quite pleased with that goal-scoring ratio. Both these articles demonstrate the details and the efforts that went in by Ken Morton and Mike Johnson in coaching their respective sides. On the 3rd of June, Phil Murphy writes an article about the Lambley. In particular, he writes about young winger Mark Simpson, who seems certain to be named in the Blamby first-grade side for their Premier League soccer match against Coniston on Saturday, after scoring two goals in two minutes as a replacement at the weekend. Simpson had an eventful afternoon last week against Oak Flats, scoring a goal in reserve grade, then getting his two in Blamby's 4-2 win and having to go off again because of an asthma attack. He has been troubled by asthma in his soccer career and the club have a special spray on the sideline for him. Against Oak Flats, he had a severe attack and the spray wasn't enough to get him back on the field. Simpson played for Blamby coach John Frew in last season's Tasman Cup winning side from Winona High School and scored a great goal in the final. This season he started off with John Whitkiss at Sutherland in the State League and had four first grade games. He is on loan to Blamby for the rest of the season. Frew is expected to name his side to meet Coniston after training tomorrow night. They play Coniston at Kelly Park, a tough assignment as Coniston appear to have developed a winning habit. Phil Matthias has made a difference to Coniston's midfield, providing a little more attacking ability. Gary White has also been playing well, while coach Robert Fryer has to find a place for Jerry Walker this week. Walker played well when brought on as a replacement in the 2-1 win over Lysart's last weekend. He's just back after an injury. Phil also notes that the berkeley Coromel Rangers clash at Berkeley Sports Ground will attract most interest on Saturday, with Berkeley still on top of the table. Berkeley proved on Sunday against Shellhaven they have plenty of fighting ability and they must be favoured to edge out Coromel. On Thursday the 4th of June, Phil Murphy writes international defender Arno Batonia will today become a Wollongong City player and definitely play in Sunday's Phillips Soccer League match against Heidelberg at Wollongong Showground. The club supporters yesterday completed their Buy Batonia appeal and all the pledges were honoured. The target was a transfer fee of 12500 plus the player's contract terms. Donations to the appeal yesterday included $100 from Ferry Meadow Soccer Club and the club called on other Illawarra teams to match their figure. Rurella Wanderers also promised to make a substantial donation towards the appeal. Wollongong City President Laurie Kelly said the individual donations have been magnificent but it was great to have soccer clubs help out. He's quoted as saying, This just proves that relations between Wollongong City and these clubs is very good, and we'll do our best to keep things that way, he said. Coach Ken Morton, who started the appeal with club director Jack Zania, last night said the response had amazed him. I don't think this could have happened with any other PSL club. The supporters have been really fantastic. Arno is coming to sign his contract and will train with the boys Friday night. Batonia comes to Wollongong rated one of the best defenders in Australia. He started his career in Western Australia, where he was coached as an under-16 centre-half by Ken Morton. He was also associated with Morton with the powerful Azuri club in Perth. During an overseas trip, Arno spent time with West German side, on track to Frankfurt. Additionally, he spent time in England, where he had six months with Sheffield United before making the Australian youth squad. Bertonia was to have signed with Leichhardt last week, but at the last minute decided he'd rather come to Wollongong. 
He's been named in the squad of 14 to play Heidelberg this weekend. This article's interesting as it shows the Wollongong football community coming together here, in particular the Wool supporters and directors in, in putting their own money forward to sign a player for a club, which possibly wouldn't happen in today's football environment. On the Friday on the 5th of June, Phil Murphy then details Wollongong United's game against Blacktown United at Francis Park on Saturday. Roberto Giraudi hit a hat-trick in the 6-1 win over Guildford, then Dean Gardner grabbed three goals against University on Saturday. Johnson was quoted as saying, Blacktown are a very hard team to get goals against, but it would be nice for us to get another hat-trick. Giraudi has scored six goals in the last three games and will be a big threat to the Blacktown side. Johnson is pleased with the way he's combining with Gardner and says they have developed a good understanding in a short time. As per this Illawarra Mercury article about Roberto or Robbie Giraudi and Dean Gardner scoring goals in 1981, Dean Gardner tells us the approximate number of goals scored by both men in 1981 for Wollongong United. That year, it was me and Robbie were partnered up front and I ended up scoring something like 23, 24 goals. Robbie scored about 25, 26 in that level of league. So I went from a, and this is the impact Mike Johnson had on me, I went from scoring three or four goals in the Premier League to 20-odd goals in the state first division. We head back to the 1981 commentary. Johnson has no injury problems for Saturday, but he does have a major goalkeeping problem. He does not have a recognised keeper as standby for Peter Terzioski if he is injured. Johnson yesterday appealed to any goalkeeper who's looking for a game to contact him during training at Vikings Oval. He said at present he has the third grade goalkeeper playing two games and a field player as standby for him. He was then quoted as saying, Last season we had good strength in this position and Natch Vardaroff was second choice most of this season. Now he's in the PSL. Murphy then goes on to say, United lead the Sydney First Division table on goal difference from Karingai with Ugal a point away in third. Wollongong United are easily the top goal scorers with 36 goals for and 11 against. Phil then tells the reader that Ferry Meadows' Richard Pieck has recovered from a groin injury and will return to the Ferry Meadows soccer lineup to play Bathurst in Bathurst on Sunday. Pieck missed the 1-0 win over Blacktown at the weekend and his place was taken by Mick Southwall. Pieck trained solidly with the side last night and secretary Walter Chishkan said he's fully fit again. His return to the side is expected to be the only change for Ferry Meadow and they are confident of another win. Walter is quoted as saying, We beat Blacktown 1-0, but it could have been a bigger score. Coach Hugh Tinney was pleased with the effort put in by the players and feels the team has turned the corner. The midfield looked very strong, particularly Mick Richardson and he will give Bathurst a few problems. Ferry Meadow will be leaving nothing to chance for the Bathurst game and will stay there overnight. The players will leave Wollongong on Saturday afternoon. On Saturday the 6th of June, the Illawarra Mercury details the South Coast Women's Soccer Association representative team, who will be playing in the state championships at Orange on the weekend. There was no article, but the Mercury did detail the players who were selected for this representative team. And they are C. Garcia and L. Keaton from the Lysarts Club, J. Kerridge from the Dapto Club, J. Shaw, R. Cleghorn, S. Smith, S. Fieldsend, A. Gallagher from the Bulleye Club, 
J McGuffey, J Porter, R Funnel, M Warburton, P Murphy, D Jones and J Pengelly from the Fernhill Club. The coach is Max Shaw, the assistant coach is D Critcher and the manager is J Gallagher. Julie Porter gives a bit of background about some of these representative players and where they played. Julie McGuffey played out on the right-hand side, up front or in the midfield, really quick on her feet. Jenny Shaw was one of the best midfielders I've seen, bar none. Um, Yeah, commanded and controlled the park, absolutely. It made me look good, in fact. Jenny Shaw did a lot of the time. Um, Janet Pangeli was an excellent goalkeeper, so was Annette Gallagher. Um, Before their time, actually, both of them, in my humble opinion. In 1981, Julie was selected in the South Coast team, the New South Wales team, and then the Australian team. Here, she discusses her selection in the Australian team after playing in the national titles. Played for New South Wales in the the national title. Not sure if it was in Sydney that year, can't quite remember. And what they do, they have a, a gala presentation at the end of the titles and uh, the national coach gets up, has a spiel, names the squad. Squad of 24, I believe, initially is selected. And then um, you do a couple of camps. And from that, the final 18 will be selected. And, um, yeah, had the good fortune to be picked in that squad to go to New Zealand. I probably still can't describe it. Yeah, um, oh, yeah it's, it's difficult. Uh, a room full of people, so, yeah. I mean, you're overwhelmed, of course. Uh, you try and keep it all in check. But um, it probably wasn't until I got home to see my mum, dad, you know, all the kids. And, uh, yeah, and my dad. I remember my dad saying to me, at this point in time, somebody thinks you're one of the best 18 players in the country. Do not let them down. Oh, it was massive. Massive. Awesome. Oh, Oh, completely so. Utterly. Even out on the little training field, you know, a man of the stature of Raul Blanco was there to put us through our paces and show us a few tricks. Oh, it's completely awesome. Overwhelming, again. Again, you know, you just... uh, Yeah, it's really difficult to describe. It's really difficult. Um, But you do realise that you are representing Australia. It certainly hits home. It's a very proud thing, very proud thing. Uh, I believe we were in the green. Again, can remember coming out onto the pitch and... Yeah, being overwhelmed, overwhelmed with the, the mere fact that, that you had um, this shirt on that had our coat of arms on it. It's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, you can't describe it truly. It's, uh, but I, I can remember the rest of the girls, the, the looks on their faces and, and the smiles and, yeah, it was, yeah, it was awesome, completely awesome. It's, uh, you know. Now, let's return to the 1981 commentary. Just below this representative team list, the Illawarra Churches have listed a representative team to play a Sydney Churches team at Beaton Park on Saturday. And here are the following players that are going to play in this representative team. W Bignall from Coromel Uniting, W Cook from St Albans, P North from Olympic, J Magro from Lighthouse, G Davies from Wollongong Baptist, P Salmons from Lighthouse, B Hennessy from St Albans, C. Sykes from Lighthouse, D. Tutton from Coromel Brethren, A. Gallagher from Wollongong Baptist, L. Solaris from George Cross, and the reserves are B. Coupiers, C. Villa, G. 
Bracamonte and M. Aquilna. Additionally, in the Elora Mercury on the 6th of June, which is the Saturday, Phil Murphy writes that Arno Batonia will play in the back four and big Billy DeGraff has been bracketed with John Lathan for a midfield role in Wollongong City soccer team's match against Heidelberg at Wollongong Showground tomorrow. Ken Morton is quoted as saying, Billy will play against Heidelberg as a midfielder if John Lathan's ankle is still troubling him on Sunday. Batonia was signed to give us more speed at the back, but this doesn't mean any player in the squad has been discarded. Billy has done a great job for us this season, but he can still fit into the side as a midfielder or a striker. Morton pointed out DeGraff came to the club from New Zealand as a striker. Lathan will have a fitness test tomorrow before the final 11 is named. City are expecting their biggest crowd of the season with the possibility of a win for the Wolves. The signing of Batonia has created a lot of interest, while Clive Campbell is having his first home game since returning from New Zealand international duties. Morton told his players last night he wants the emphasis on attack and wants an early goal. He was quoted as saying, The home crowd deserve to see a few goals from the boys, and I have a feeling they'll come in this game. Heidelberg are going through a rough period. We have already beaten them 3-0 in Melbourne this season. Morton is looking to Campbell and Peter Trednick to create the openings down the wings tomorrow. Both like to take players on, and Wolves supporters can look forward to plenty of action. With Glenn Fontana keen to get a goal at home and Jim McBreen pushing forward, the pressure will be on Heidelberg. The Melbourne club have had a troubled week with news that coach Jim Rooney may be handing over the job to concentrate on his playing. And on the same day, Murphy then writes about the IPL. He states that Coromel soccer coach Wally Miller has told his players they must contain Berkeley Dangerman, Roberto Hernandez and John Sokolowski to have any chance of winning today's vital Premier League game at Berkeley Sports Ground. Hernandez and Sokolowski are the most consistent scorers in the league. Hernandez, a ball player, has combined well with the speedy Sokolowski and are largely responsible for their team racing away to a four-point lead. Still undefeated, Berkeley have surprised everyone with their great start to the season. But Miller is confident their run will come to an abrupt end today. He's relying heavily on midfielders Graham Funnell, Steve Royal and Kevin Smead to get on top of Berkeley early. If they can dominate the midfield and keep pushing the ball wide to Doug Seymour and Les Miller, Coromel have a good chance of collecting both points. Coromel still have fullback Phil Jones and experienced midfielder Norm Flanagan on the injured list but Flanagan may return in reserve grade today after a rib injury. In other games, Coniston will be trying to make it four in a row when they take on Blamby at Kelly Park today. After a dismal start to the season, Coniston is showing some form, but coach Robert Fryer is first to admit they still have a lot of work to do. The addition of youngsters Gary White and Phil Matthias to the midfield has added a measure of aggression with Jerry Walker expected to return today after an injury. Ron Vandervoord and Ian Serson speak about their thoughts of Robert Fryer, Bobby, as coach and what he brought to the table. Bobby, Bobby was Bobby was a good player, very good player, and and but Bobby was Bobby was Mr. Social. Bobby's, I think Bobby's gift was he could get you, he get a team together um, off the park and on the park. He was really social. We had um, some really good um, social events together off the ground after the games and all that. And he was a funny man, but um, he also had a he had he knew a lot of people, and Bobby brought players to the club as well. So there was. 
like when we were I was there with Tommy it was the the backbone of the like Mickey Talbots and and people like that at, yeah. at um and Lenny Phillips that were kind of through and through and they were a good bunch of blokes but then Bobby come and he started bringing a few players like Phil Bragg yeah. um Jerry uh Shay Gleason come over um Quirky, quirky come there Steve come Mark from Ploy well. Mark Vinton had a year there yep um um, um Brian Dodd so so Bobby had a gift of getting getting some good players together uh, Phil Matthias you know there's I there's you know Hans was there and still Lassick as well. yeah Jeremy Lassick yeah we had a yeah and that we just gelled we were pretty you know it was a good side very good side yeah his um motivation you know he 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 was good like I said he could um he he got us playing and really in a case of the players in the squad that we had he didn't have to tinker with it too much and yep. you know um the the guys did their job he, he was a player coach which made it a little bit harder at times you know coming off at half time you had to make a speech and things weren't going well or whatever yeah. we head back to the 1981 commentary while Blamby go into this game against Coniston with confidence after a 4-2 win over Oak Flats last week. After the games on Saturday the 6th and Sunday the 7th of June, here are the match reports from the Illawarra Mercury, written by Phil Murphy. Wollongong City coach Ken Morton said he won't be making any panic changes in his team despite yesterday's humiliating 4-3 defeat at the hands of struggling Heidelberg in the Phillips Soccer League at Wollongong Showground. The scoreline doesn't look that bad, but Wollongong grabbed two goals in the last three minutes, and by that time, many of their supporters were driving home. The Wolves lacked any cohesion and appeared a shadow of the side which did so well just seven days earlier against Marconi. Heidelberg gave them a lesson on how to get goals, but Wollongong made it so easy. Wollongong led early on and seemed to have things under control after 29 minutes. But then Jim Rooney started a move that produced a shock equaliser. Heidelberg waltzed their way through the defence with short passes and Cole was left with the easiest of shots to make it 1-1. Earlier there had been protests from Heidelberg players after John Lathan gave Wolves the lead. They claimed a goal kick... Hadn't left the penalty area before Lathan pounced on it and turned it home, and they were probably right. Referee Doug Rennie could have been squaring off for this goal when he disallowed what looked a certain penalty soon after, Clive Campbell being flattened inside the box. The scores were level at half-time, but Heidelberg then went through a 25-minute spell in which they scored three goals. Each time, they broke away fast out of midfield, taking the Wollongong defence by surprise. The speed that Arno Batonia was to provide at the back certainly wasn't evident as Heidelberg started to take a strong grip on the game. To be fair, it would be difficult to blame Batonia for the defeat in his first outing for the Wolves. Cole, Patton and McGrory put the ball in the Wollongong net to give Heidelberg a stranglehold on the game. Each time goalkeeper Jim Preston was left horribly exposed by a defence which looked casual and flat-footed. Referee Rennie gave the crowd something to cheer when he limped off with nine minutes to go after pulling a muscle. He was replaced by linesman Barry Wilkinson. As if they appreciated the change, Wollongong then banged home two late goals, but they proved far too late. Lee Adam put one in from 20 metres, then Jim McBreen headed a lathe and cross into the roof of the net. 
Morton said after the game he was very disappointed but felt he couldn't make changes because he wants to get a settled team on the field. He was quoted as saying, We gave them gift goals and when you do that, you lose games, Morton said. I thought we'd win at half-time, but they came at us and the defence just didn't have a very good day. In New South Wales State League, Wollongong United surrendered their lead of Sydney First Division soccer when they lost 1-0 to Blacktown at Francis Park on Saturday. But for a fine display of goalkeeping by Peter Terziofsky, the Wollongong team could have suffered a heavier defeat. Blacktown looked far more dangerous in attack than Wollongong and Terziofsky had his busiest 90 minutes of the season. United took the field with fullback Ron Satin carrying a painful ankle injury. Coach Mike Johnson said on Friday he would be leaving Satin out of the team, but later decided to gamble with him. Satin was replaced by Ian Drain in the second half. Always a hard team to beat on their own ground, Blacktown have gained a number of players from the Blacktown City PSL club this season. Meantime, late last night the result of the Ferry Meadow Bathurst game in Bathurst was a mystery because of the telecom industrial dispute. In the Illawarra Premier League, Coromel midfielder Graham Funnell burst the Berkeley bubble when he hit home all four goals in his team's 4-1 convincing win over the competition leaders at Berkeley Sports Ground on Saturday. Never really known as a prolific goalscorer, Funnell started his career as a centre-half, but against Berkeley, he really showed his forwards how to get the goals, three of them coming in the second half. As well as getting the four goals, Funnel combined well in midfield with Kevin Smead and Steve Royal, and they effectively blotted Berkeley danger man Roberto Hernandez out of the game. This also meant the speed of John Sokolowski up front was hardly used, and actually Coromel should have had the game sewn up by half-time. Funnel's goal gave them a 1-0 lead at the break, but early in the second half, Berkeley's hope soared when Jim Wright grabbed the equaliser. Coromel soon regained composure and Funnel netted with a good low shot to make it 2-1. With the Coromel midfield again dominating the game, Funnel added two more goals and the Berkeley defence was under a lot of pressure towards the end. Coromel's win has opened the premiership race up, bringing Berkeley back to the field while Coniston and Shell Harbour both picked up vital wins. At Kelly Park, Coniston made it four wins in a row when they accounted for Balambi five goals to one. The Coniston midfield put in their best effort of the season and always looked a class above Balambi, and this enabled striker Steve Quirk to score a hat-trick. Other goals came from coach Robert Fryer and Ron Vandervoort, while Jeff Farrar scored Balambi's goal from the penalty spot. In regards to Ron Vandervoort, the player, I've included Gary Masters and John Frew's comments about Ron. Yeah, played against Ronnie, you know, um, yeah, a, a little bit. Um, yeah, very fast player who loved to get into the open spaces and take yep. people on. Predominantly played in the front line. He liked to uh, play in in the left hand zones that he could come back in on his right foot. Okay. Not a great left, not a great left footer, <laughs> but but certainly uh, very very quick and constantly put people under pressure. Yeah, with his with his speed. Uh, Ronnie Ronnie was the type of person that would always be first to, to training and, and sort of one of the last to leave. Always loved, you know, chatting about the game, you know, and uh, and looked to encourage, you know, younger players around him to strive, you know, to, to be better. 
especially Ronnie down the right side. And that that's probably one of the first times I really was extremely conscious of getting the second defender in because yep. with his pace and his skills, you, you're going to get burnt first defender. So if you even if you you sort of tried to hold him up, he, he just had too much pace. Let's return to the 1981 commentary. Meanwhile, Shell Harbour had little trouble disposing of Bulleye four goals to one at Barrack Heights Oval, playing some of their best football of the season in heavy conditions. Fernhill dropped a valuable point when held to a two-all draw by Cringillo at Taraji Park. Both teams had chances to snatch a win, but missed good scoring chances. Fernhill's goals came from Steve Quinn and fullback Grant Isdale, while Sonny Brown scored both Cringilla goals from the wing. Tarawana also dropped a point when they held the upper hand for most of the 90 minutes against Lysarts at Tarawana Oval, but had to be content with a scoreless draw. In yesterday's game, Shellhaven kept their high placing with a 2-1 win over Oak Flats at Bombardieri Oval. Harry Knowles scored both goals for the narrow side, with Anthony Shields replying for the visitors. On Tuesday, June the 9th, the Illawarra Mercury finally received the result from the Ferry Meadow vs Bathurst game. Ferry Meadow had an impressive 3-1 win over Bathurst in Bathurst on Sunday. This meant Ferry Meadow and Wollongong United are in the thick of a five-team battle for promotion to next season's State League Soccer Series. The five teams with a chance of promotion are Karingai on 23 points, Wollongong United on 21, Eugle on 21, Ferry Meadow on 20 and Blackdown on 20. In regards to Ferry Meadow's win against Bathurst, it was a hat-trick by Graham Gardner that paved the way for Ferry Meadow's important win. Gardner struck his best form and was a constant menace to the Bathurst defence. Ferry Meadow went into the game with a 16-year-old keeper, Mehmet Yaglipanar, who usually plays in the under-19 side. He was called up to first grade when regular keeper Adrian Beck was forced out with a leg injury. The youngster didn't let the side down and made some good saves at vital stages. Beck is expected to be back when Ferry Meadow play Reevesby at home on Saturday. Previously, they beat Reevesby 6-2 when they clashed in Sydney in the first round. For Wollongong United, they'll tackle Bathurst at Berkeley Sports Ground on Sunday and must be expected to get the two points. Additionally, on Tuesday the 9th of June, Illawarra Mercury edition, Phil Murphy describes Bampton Cup game between Tarawana and Shell Harbour at Tarawana Oval. In this game, Shell Harbour were eventual winners two goals to nil. Tarawana spent most of the second half camped in Shell Harbour's territory, but didn't have anyone willing to take the responsibility of going for goal. Tarawana played some good football in midfield with Don James always involved, but faded when they reached the edge of the Shell Harbour penalty area. Playing without key men, Phil Malbray and Robert Ritchie, Shell Harbour grabbed both their goals against the runner play within eight minutes late in the game. The first came out of the blue when they broke out fast and fullback John Lloyd played a perfect short ball for Ian Bradburn to slip the ball under the body of the goalkeeper, Fabio Fabrinacci. Dean John sent over a bullet-like cross, which could have been a shot, and Barney King headed it home for number two. King had missed a great chance in the first half, heading wide from a John Bingham cross with the goal at his mercy. Bingham dictated play in the midfield until half-time, but Tarawana came back strongly, without being able to get a goal. Both teams tried to play football, and the game was played at a fast pace. Shell Harbour fullback Gary Singleton 
was warned in the second half by referee Stuart Davidson after continually trying to act as a second referee. He was lucky not to get a yellow card for repeatedly giving the referee advice on decisions. Mark Sweeney was solid at the back for Tarawana, while James emerged the pick of the midfield. The next audio snippet is from my interview of John Bingham, where he speaks about some of his Shell Harbour players and how they played in 1981. Well, the style was... Um, there was no playing out from the back those days. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, try and win the second ball and then you start playing from, from the middle of the field, you know. So that's that was it. The, the, you know, there was no set sort of style that you would call... You, you put a formation out... Um, in regard to the sort of players that you had at the club, the, the, where where their strengths were, so you know, Ronnie Vanderbord was a, a, a left winger. He was a flyer, you know. He, yeah. he was fast, yeah, so so he was on the left side, you know. And um, we had Barney King, I think, uh, through the middle. Uh, yeah. He was good with his head, you know. And um, we had a good goalkeeper. Um, yeah, we had a good keeper. You know, so you got a bit of a spine there going through. I played the midfield with a couple of guys. I think Ian Bradburn was one of them at the time, uh, played with us. Um, so, yeah, yeah, you know, you'd, you'd, uh, you'd take your goal kicks and you, you'd, uh, you'd set yourself up for the second ball. <laughs> and that's where you'd start from. And then you'd start, then you'd start playing from, from the middle of the field. Ron Vandervoort was with Coniston in 1981 and then went on to play with Shell Harbour. Here are his thoughts on Shell Harbour's John Bingham and additionally Coniston's Robert Fryer as player coaches. It was good. Bingo was a, Bingo was a very Bingo was a very 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 good coach. Bingo we just we just worked we, he just worked forwards against against defence, um, two on two, three on three. We just he just he just drilled us, and we did a lot of set plays. He was another. It was just another. Um, what do I what do I say? Another um, dimension to the game with with um, with Bingo. He was he was all soccer. He that was all he breathed, and and he was he was a very good coach. When, when you when you're a good player yourself, it works. I think yeah. it might have been. I think it might have been a bit. If he wasn't, if you weren't that good a player, and then you were doing it, it could have caused you problems. But but both of them, look, Bobby Bobby was more. It was it was more fun with Bobby. Yeah. Definitely more fun with Bobby. Where where um, John. John was all football. Even if you go for a beer. He'd be talking football, yeah. where we, with you know, with Bobby and the other coaches, we'd be there was life outside of football, yeah. if you know what I mean. And um, we talk about a lot of other stuff, but um, but uh, yeah, t- two totally different um, different people. We head back to the 1981 commentary. In other games, Second Division Bowgani Rangers provided the upset of the day when they thrashed Premier League Cringilla, five-two at Cream Park. Cringilla had Jim Spirovsky sent off in the second half, but Bowgani already led 4-1 at that stage. They led 3-1 at half-time, and their hero was striker Dave Rowe, who hit a hat-trick. Other goals came from Keith Tomlinson and Brian Smith. George Timoff scored Cringilla's goals, one from the penalty spot, but there were no chance of toppling the enthusiastic Bowgani. 
Dapdo surprised with a 2-1 win over Premier League leaders Berkeley, getting the winner through Jim Ryrie two minutes from the end. Dapdo led through a Kevin Jones goal after 15 minutes, but Spiros Scaris equalised for Berkeley eight minutes from the end. Coniston eliminated Paul Kembler 3-0 at Kelly Park after Paul Kembler created enough chances to get back into the game in the second half. The first half was all Coniston, and they completely outplayed their first division rivals. Ron Vandervoord scored two goals, and Steve Quirk got the other. Bulleye edged out Russellvale three goals to two, while Fernil beat Aris 2-0, and Balambi scraped through 2-1 over Oak Flats. In Phil Murphy's soccer scene, where he gives short stories, Phil then details that Balambi certainly have youth on their side when it comes to goalkeepers. The club have three goalkeepers, and they're all under 18. Andrew Williams is currently first choice, with the other two being Gio Razzo and Les Banks. Elsewhere, Rurilla Wanderers Junior Club donated $1,000 to the appeal to buy Arno Batonia for Wollongong City. Club official Betty Broad said they had the money in a building society and felt it could do more good bolstering the local PSL team. The money was raised through their canteen, raffles and club sponsors. Recently, Wolves coach Ken Morton and John Lathan held very successful coaching clinics for the Rurilla Club. Tarawana fullback Wayne Bradford came in for a pat on the back from referee Peter Graham after Saturday's game against Lysarts. Bradford was up against the elusive George Bailey, but despite the little fellow's speed and ball control, Bradford wasn't tempted to bowl him over. Bailey usually cops plenty of rough stuff from opposing defenders because he is so small. We hope the referee isn't biased because Tarawana president Mick Grant was seen giving him his last drop of scotch after the game on a wet and miserable afternoon. And finally, there is plenty of concern among Illawarra referees about recent happenings in second division games. It seems the standard is well below average and the conduct of players even lower. When Coldale played Aris on Saturday, two players were sent off and another five shown the yellow card. District officials may soon be asking, do we really need a second division? Additionally, on the 9th of June, the Australian Soccer Weekly reported the return game between representative sides from Illawarra and the ACT federations has been cancelled for 1981 by the ISA, owing to previous commitments of members of its federation. In the first round of a two-round competition, ACT defeated Illawarra at both senior and under-21 level in Wollongong. At that time, both games were reported to have been of a high standard and ACT fans were looking forward to the return game in Canberra on October the 4th. And back to the Illawarra Mercury on the 10th of June, it was reported that Wollongong City Wolves coach Ken Morton has been appointed senior coach of the reformed Illawarra Coaches Association. 34 people attended a recent meeting at Bowgowney's club rooms and office bearers were elected for the next 12 months. Ken Morton yesterday said the response was good, but more members are still welcome. He said there is a desperate need for a well-organised coaching body in the Illawarra because of the influx of junior talent each year. George Ramage has been elected president, with John Valestra secretary, and treasurer is Mrs Florence Stevenson. The committee is Dick Evans, John Lathan and Neil Kemp. Practical sessions will be held each month in conjunction with the Rothmans Foundation. The association membership will be $10 a year and a quarterly magazine will be published for members. And in terms of previews for the games ahead on the weekend, 
Greg Blake in the ASW previews the Footscray Eagles versus Wollongong Wolves clash. He writes, It's hard to fault a new PSL club that has managed to not only survive, but actually keep pace with the top clubs. Indeed, Wollongong Wolves have hardly put a foot wrong in their inaugural Phillips League season, and at this time are still in the thick of the championship race, and you can hardly expect more from them than that. Greg Blake then goes on to say, So there is no doubt the hard-working Wolves deserve to win their encounter with Footscray on Sunday, if only to show the Eagles what they should be aiming at. Unfortunately for the Wollongongs of this world, and fortunately for Footscray, the home team seem to have a decided advantage when playing on their Schindler Reserve ground. The wind-swept pitch itself is difficult enough for visitors, and added to that, a mean, unrelenting defence like Footscray, I can see the Blues winning another point. On Thursday the 11th of June and on Friday the 12th of June, Keith Jackson of the Illawarra Mercury writes about Wollongong United. Wollongong United soccer coach Mike Johnson blames lack of leadership and confidence for his team's loss to Blacktown on Saturday. Although the team only lost 1-0, Johnson refers to the match as a disaster. Johnson said since the start of the season, the heart of the team had gradually been removed. The players United have lost were the ones with a sense of leadership and a strong player personality, Johnson said. This season, Wollongong United have lost John Bingham to Shell Harbour, Nash Fadareff, Glenn Fontana and Ray Valestra to Wollongong City, and David Jersa to Sydney. Midfielder Peter Vudichovsky recently left for Yugoslavia and is out of the team for the season. One of the team's best defenders, Maurizio Montecchi, damaged a cartilage in his knee in the Bankstown match and is doubtful for the weekend. In an attempt to reintroduce leadership into the side, Johnson is considering bringing back midfielder Scooter Petkovsky back into first grade. Petkovsky was captain of the side earlier in the season, but left after Johnson disciplined him over failure to meet training commitments. And this last sentence, training commitments, is then put into a further article on Friday, June the 12th, where Keith Jackson goes into greater detail. In the article, Keith writes, A night on the town by Wollongong United soccer players will cost them dearly in future. United coach Mike Johnson will impose $100 fines on his players if they are caught drinking late in the week. The fine is a result of celebrations held by some United players last week. One United player was given a send-off last Friday. The function ended at about 9.30pm but some players apparently continued the session. Johnson said he was not blaming the celebrations totally for the team's poor performance in the Saturday afternoon game, which they lost 1-0 to Blacktown. However, he said it was the only time United has been outplayed in his two seasons with the club. Johnson was then quoted as saying, I've been pleased by the way the players have worked this season to reach the top of the table after all the injuries and disruption to player strength we've been through this year. But every time we play, we have a responsibility to our spectators. We are the only team in the competition to draw good crowds, around a 1,000 per game. I expect my players to train like athletes, and I think the supporters who pay to see them would expect the same. The average bloke who takes his family to the soccer would pay about $10. Johnson has reacted strongly to any breaches of his strict disciplinary stands in the past. Players have been fined up to $50, but the threat of $100 penalties is the stiffest yet. United is only two points off the lead in the Sydney First Division soccer table. 
Until their loss last week, they were leading and the coach is anxious to regain the top position. Again, a further insight about Mike Johnson, the coach, and what he did and the structures he put in place in terms of training, playing and responsibilities for his players. Paul Giraudi lets us, the listener, into the game day preparation under Mike Johnson at Wollongong United and if he would give individual and or team instructions. Yeah, a bit of both here, but we, we, had to, we, always, we always met at uh, midday somewhere, whether it be in Sydney or in Wollongong. So most of the time we'd meet at the Macedonian Church. And he'd go through, he'd go through, yeah, the instructions. He'd go through the other team. He'd actually get you standing up. You know, he'd put two chairs. That's your goals, right? I want you standing here for this corner and there for that corner and whatever. So we all had our positions. So we'd work it out, whether it be a club in Sydney where we'd meet. You'd always have us standing up and getting in our positions for particular set pieces. And so we knew exactly what was going on during the game. Now, let's return to the 1981 commentary. In terms of the Wollongong Wolves' upcoming game against Footscray, Phil Murphy writes, Wollongong City midfielder Jim McBreen has an ankle injury and has only a slim chance of playing against Footscray on Sunday. Coach Ken Morton yesterday said McBreen's ankle is cut and badly swollen. This happened in Sunday's game against Heidelberg. Morton said if McBreen doesn't travel to Melbourne, he has a number of alternatives when he selects his side. I will select the lineup on Friday night and we'll have a light training run on Saturday, Morton said. Peter Willis may be recalled at fullback and John Fleming pushed forward to a midfield role. Willis played in the youth team's 2-0 win over Blacktown in Sydney on Sunday. Morton is expecting a tough physical game from Footscray, but isn't going to make any drastic changes after the poor display against Heidelberg. I have to shoulder most of the blame for that result, the Wolves coach said. I feel I gave the players a hard week leading up to the game and most of them were flat on Sunday. They certainly weren't as sharp as they have been and no one wanted to talk or get really involved in the game. Morton said the part he finds hard to take was the effort was there once Heidelberg scored. He said he felt the players were coasting because they thought they just had to go through the motions to get the two points. Morton said there has been talk in the team that we have played all the hard teams and are now having an easy run, but this is not the case. Morton had a long talk with players at training and says he expects a big improvement this week. Meantime, City youngster Paul Kay has been released to go into camp with the Australian youth squad from June the 24th to July the 7th. This is part of the build-up towards the Coca-Cola Youth World Cup to be held in Australia from October the 3rd. And then on the Saturday, June the 13th, Phil Murphy gives further previews, firstly of the Ferry Meadow team and then of the Illawarra Premier League. In regards to Ferry Meadow, he stated that Ferry Meadow will be at full strength with the return of goalkeeper Adrian Beck, midfielder Tony Charnock and fullback Richard Pieck for the game against Reesby in First Division Soccer today. The game will be played at Wollongong Police Boys Club Oval with Reesby on the bottom of the table battling against relegation. Ferry Meadow Secretary Walter Chishkan said the three players missed last week's win over Bathurst but have been past fit after training solidly midweek. Beck will add a touch of experience in goal while Pieck and Charnock return at the expense of Mickey Southwall and Paul Lackenby. Ferry Meadow beat Reesby 6-2 in Sydney but Chishkan said they expected a tougher game today. Reesby have some good players and they are desperate for points to avoid the drop to the second division he said.
The boys played well to beat Bathurst and I feel they've regained the form shown earlier in the season. The win over Bathurst was vital because it leaves Ferry Meadow right in the thick of promotion. Each of the leading teams look likely to win this weekend, with the other main contenders being Wollongong United, Karingai, Blacktown and Eugle. And in terms of Wollongong United, they'll play against Bathurst at Berkeley Sports Ground on Sunday. As stated previously, coach Mike Johnson fired a broadside at his team during the week after breaches of discipline and he expects this to bring about a big improvement on the field. In terms of the IPL, Phil Murphy then details that Shellhaven City coach Dave Norwood is tipping the new club to become a definite premiership threat if they win games against Coromel and Shell Harbour in Premier League soccer this weekend. Both games are away from home, but Norwood said his team is capable of collecting four points. Noting this year that it was a two-point system for wins, not the three points per win that we have now. He said today's game against Coromel will be tougher of the two, and his main worry is being able to come through the Memorial Park game unscathed. Many people regard Coromel as premiership favourites after their 4-1 trouncing of leaders Berkeley last week. Coach Wally Miller is happy with the way his team is firing, and he made only one change for today. Veteran Norm Flanagan proved his fitness in reserve grade last week and comes back to replace Steve Rawl, who is on holidays. Grant Roberts is playing as well as ever at the back for Shalhaven, while Terry Seimeister is getting through a lot of work in midfield. Norwood admits Shellhaven have shown their best form at Bomaderry Oval, but points out all these players have experience at Memorial Park. In other games, leaders Berkeley play Bulloy at Winuna Oval, and coach Bob Evans is hoping the weather remains fine. Evans said after last week's loss to Coromel, his side simply didn't handle the heavy ground. This was borne out on Monday when they lost in the cup match to Dapto. Evans says his team style of play isn't suited to wet surfaces. On the other hand, Bulleye are struggling for points and lacked authority in midfield when beaten 4-1 by Shell Harbour last week. Shell Harbour played Cringilla today at Cream Park before tomorrow's deferred clash with Shellhaven at Barrack Heights. After netting four goals against Bulleye, striker Barney King will be keen to add to his tally today. Cringilla will still be recovering from their 5-2 drubbing from Balgani Rangers in the Cup on Monday and could find themselves on the defensive from the outset. Coniston will be chasing five wins in a row when they take on Oak Flats at Panorama Oval. In the other two games, Bulambi are at home to a Tarawana side which lacks firepower, while Lysarts meet Fernhill at Lysarts Recreation Ground. The Bampton Cup quarter-final draw for June the 28th is Bulambi vs Wollongong Sports, Balgowney vs Shell Harbour, Bulleye vs Dapto and Fernhill vs Coniston. We now head to Monday the 15th of June where we go through the three sets of results for the PSL, the State League and the IPL. Normally soccer is not listed on the back page of the Illawarra Mercury but on this day it was where we have an article from Phil Murphy titled Irate Mob Attack Referee. City Draw, Riot Squad. Phil then details his report. Melbourne's Riot Squad was called into action yesterday to protect South Australian soccer referee Bob Kerr in a sensational ending to the Phillips Soccer League game between Footscray and Wollongong City. Angry Footscray supporters tried to attack the referee as he ran to the dressing room minutes after he awarded Wollongong City a penalty from which they earned a 1-1 draw. 
Kerr was protected by the only two policemen at the ground as he ran for cover, but within minutes the riot squad had arrived and there were 14 officers to quell the demonstrating crowd. Kerr and his linesmen were locked in their dressing room, as were the Wollongong players, but a crowd of nearly 400 stayed until well after the final whistle to yell abuse at the referee. Police escorted Kerr to his car and it was only then the mob broke up. A police car was badly damaged near the gate to the ground. There had been no trouble in the game until three minutes from the end when a Clive Campbell shot struck Footscray's defender, Jim Kondarios, on the hand just inside the penalty area. After slight hesitation, Kerr blew his whistle and pointed to the penalty spot. It seemed a fair decision, but the crowd erupted and started to throw cans onto the field and at the Wollongong City dugout. Some of the supporters seemed determined to injure the referee and punches were thrown as Kerr ran towards the cage near the dressing room. It was a sensational ending to an entertaining game played in wet conditions after heavy overnight rain. Footscray probably deserved the two points because they managed to get in behind the Wollongong defence with some good lead-up work. Their big problem was finishing as the ball was flashed across the Wollongong goal mouth time after time early in the second half. Wolves fullback Jeff Ainsworth scrambled the ball off the line twice with goalkeeper Jim Preston beaten. Then new signing, Johan Verweit beat the defence from close range only to see the ball hit one of his own teammates on the line. In the first 25 minutes of the second half, Wollongong's defence tended to panic and Footscray should have punished them. Footscray looked more positive than Wollongong when they broke out of midfield and they have skill in their side which belies their lowly position. Both sides handled the wet conditions well, but large pools of water made ball control difficult. Wollongong City goalkeeper Jim Preston made some good saves when the home team piled on their second half pressure. The City defence finally cracked in the 78th minute when Footscray captain Zoran Ilioski crossing from the left to Verweight, who netted from point-blank range. Wollongong didn't throw in the towel and kept plugging away out of midfield with Lee Adam and John Fleming trying to create gaps. The drama started after 87 minutes, with Campbell getting in a shot, seeing Condarios handle the ball. Lee Adam took the penalty kick and gave goalkeeper Dennis Boland no chance with a well-placed low drive. Centre-back Arno Betonia showed his class at times in the Wollongong defence, while Fleming, Preston and the defence generally played soundly. They absorbed pressure, but still kept composed in the midfield and swung the ball around well. Footscray surprised by their willingness to push men forward and Verweight is going to be an asset to their team. Bruno Cazella was the pick of the Footscray attack, causing Wollongong plenty of problems on the wing. The Wollongong front line never really looked impressive against a tall, strong Footscray back line. So it's unusual there to have a back page and in this instance a bit of controversy earned football or soccer a back page story in the Illawarra Mercury. John Fleming was at the club in 1981 when the Footscray Just incident occurred. I'll now play John's memory of this incident. Yeah, the the first year we um, Footscray, we played at Footscray in the National League and they were Footscray J-U-S-T. I don't know what they that stood for, but uh, they, they were obviously... Um, a Yugoslavian, Serbian, I, I, I don't know, um, club. And 
they had uh, fences around the pitch, you know, six foot high. <laughs> when we got there, we're thinking, this is before it became yeah. par- paramount around the world. And uh, we're thinking, what the hell's going on here? And as the game went on, you could sense that the atmosphere was going, getting a bit tense off the pitch. Yeah. And uh, the referee had given a few um, 50-50 decisions to us. And uh, I knew something was going to happen. And I was in the half, and the dressing room was behind the goal that we were defending. And uh, see the crowd shouting and people trying to climb up the fence. And I'm thinking, oh. Anyway, as soon as the, the game, the referee blew the final whistle. I was on my bike and I was in the dressing room, ran in the dressing room, ran right round to the back of the dressing room because I knew there was something going off. Anyway, 10 minutes later, I'm still there and there's nobody else in the dressing room and I could hear all the noise and then the police sirens and, and everything. I didn't look out the window. Anyway, they, the guys came in eventually and um, they said... Uh, Oh, the, the crowd wanted to lynch the referee, and so we had to stand next to the referee in the middle of the pitch, both teams, and I'm going, well, I'm glad I was in, in the dressing room. Anyway, the police came, and it quietened down, and we come out of the dressing room thinking, oh, God, I hope all the fans have gone, and there they all are, and they're feeding us, and they're giving us drinks, and, you know, as though nothing had happened. It was It was a... That was about a fourth or fifth game over here. It was, yeah, it was a different world. And... Now back to 1981. In terms of State League, the Illawarra Mercury on Monday, June the 15th, did not detail the Wollongong United result, which is unusual at this time because their coverage was extensive. In regards to Ferry Meadow, they came from 2-0 down to thrash Reesby 6-2 and stay in the race for promotion in First Division Soccer at Wollongong Police Boys Club. It was a repeat of the first round clash between the two teams as Reesby led 2-0 in Sydney, only to go down 6-2. Ferry Meadow took a long time to find their cohesion and had no answer to the pace of the Reesby midfielders in the first 30 minutes. Reesby looked anything but a team struggling on the bottom of the table and hit home two good early goals. Steve Baker pulled one back before half-time, then Ferry Meadow found their real form as the second half started. The all-important equaliser came from the head of Graham Gardner, the first of three goals from the big striker, with coach Hugh Tinney and full-back Stuart Beck also scoring. Gardner was a constant menace to the Reesby defence in the second half and must be a clear leader as the league's top goal scorer. Once Ferry Meadows midfield players found their true form, it was one-way traffic in the second half. The Reesby defence looked very shaky under pressure, and Ferry Meadow easily could have had at least two more goals. And in terms of the Premier League, Coromel missed far too many scoring chances and had to be content with a scoreless draw against the hard-hitting Shellhaven side in Premier League soccer at Memorial Park on Saturday. Shellhaven coach Dave Norwood said after the game he was happy with a point away from home because his players knew the game would be one of their hardest all season. I think we did enough to earn a point, particularly after losing our goalkeeper in the first half, Norwood said. Paul Bone was making his first appearance in 18 months but had to be replaced after 32 minutes with a leg injury. He had looked good to that stage, making two or three good saves. His place was taken by youngster David Musgrave who was well protected by his defence, but he did make a top save from Graham Funnel in the second half. 
Ironically for Funnel, he collided with a Shellhaven player as he sent in the shot and was helped from the field with a leg injury. Coromel coach Wally Miller used two replacements in Dave Mollison and Alan Piggott, but the home team still couldn't find a way through. Shellhaven looked impressive in midfield where John Hemmings dictated play and sprayed around some good passes. Garant Roberts always looked safe as the general of the defence and Shellhaven will cause more than their share of problems as the season goes on. There were two hat-tricks in Saturday's games, Steve Quirk getting three goals for Coniston against Oak Flats and Phil Scott bagging three for Tarawana against Bolambi. It was Quirk's second hat-trick in as many games when he hit three against Oak Flats at Panorama Oval. Robert Fryer and an own goal by Smith completed the scoring to give Coniston their fifth successive win. The side seems to have overcome their early problems. Phil Scott scored all the goals in his team's 3-0 win over Blamby at Elizabeth Park. Tarawana always looked more likely to get the goals and Scott had his best game of the season. Cringilla put up a good performance to hold Shell Harbour 3-3 at Cream Park, Sonny Brown getting two of the goals. Shell Harbour's goals came from Phil Mowbray, Gary Singleton and Dimitrovsky, an own goal. Berkeley retained their competition lead with a 3-2 win over Bulleye at Winuna Oval, with goals by Roberto Hernandez and Stuart Conlon, while Steve Hammersley scored into his own goal. In the remaining game, Fernil picked up two valuable points when they beat Lysarts 2-1 at Lysarts Recreation Ground. In the one Sunday match, a deferred fixture, Shell Harbour defeated Shellhaven one goal to nil. So this left the table with, in the IPL with Berkeley at the top of the table on 17 points, Coromel in second place with 14 points, Fernhill with an inferior goal difference on 14 points in third, Shell Harbour in fourth position on 14 points, Coniston into fifth position on 13 points, Shellhaven on 12, Tarawana on 11, Bulleye on 9 points, Balambi on 8 points, Oak Flats on 7 points, and Lysart's on seven as well. Cringilla were at the foot of the table on six points. In the first division, we have West Victory at the top of the table after 11 games, nine wins, two draws and zero losses on 20 points, with Russellvale and Helensburg following behind them. In the second division, we have Aris on top of the table on 20 points after 11 rounds with Baugiani, on 17 points and Gold Star on 15 points in second and third. On Tuesday, June the 16th in the Illawarra Mercury, Phil Murphy does his normal weekly soccer scene where there are little stories and here are a few of the stories that he put forward. While the 400 angry spectators were waiting for referee Bob Kerr to come out of his dressing room after Sunday's Footscray vs Wollongong game, the Wolves players weren't too keen to leave their dressing room. They were quite happy to stay there until the crowd had dispersed, but a Footscray official came to the door and invited them outside for drinks and a quick snack. One of the City players was quick to point out Chris Dunleavy was the captain and should lead the team out. Dunleavy wasn't too keen, particularly as he had just left the shower and didn't have a stitch on at the time. And here is John Fleming's thoughts on Chris Dunleavy. Well, Chris is... I think played five or six hundred league games in England. I mean, you know, he'd uh, he'd proven what a decent player he was, and uh, he was a very very good captain. Um, 
a stalwart uh, at the back of the the team and uh, a super guy and uh, he was a a major part of our success the the next year and uh, keeping the side together uh, yeah very good player very good player we head back to the 1981 commentary Premier League newcomers Shelhaven City get the prize when it comes to sheer football ability, judging on their performance against Coromel at the weekend. Coach Dave Norwood may not win the Premiership, but he gets my vote for having his team very well organised. Their passing and ability to switch play was a feature of the game, and despite the scoreless result, the game was very entertaining. The Nowra side have certainly justified their inclusion in this year's competition. Balgani Rangers goalkeeper Graham Edwards was penalised three times for steps in his team's 3-1 loss to Aris in the second division at the weekend. In a game described as having everything, Aris took the points and have shot three clear on top of the table. There is certainly no love lost between the two teams and from all reports the big surprise was that there was only one yellow card. It seems in the second division we go from one extreme to the other. Referees either clamping down and waving cards like confetti or letting players get away with anything, including headbutting. David Naylor, in my interview with him, explains why goalkeeper Graham Edwards moved from Tarawana to Balgani Rangers in 1981. problem I had, mate, that I faced there, I thought, was a lot to do with uh, was them back coaching teammates, yeah, yeah. former teammates, so which was, was never going to be easy, yeah. I got off on the wrong foot because... Um, um, I had this uh, ethic that um, no train, no play. Yep. I tried to invoke that in, into the squad and that straight away put me off at, at um, on opposite sides with uh, Graham Edwards, Charlie Brown, yep. who um, under Dennis Parson was able to pick when he wanted to train and then, because um, he was the best goalkeeper in the district by, yep. by a long shot, and I made it quite clear that I, didn't, I wouldn't have that with me. And, and Charlie was a good mate of mine. He was a groomsman yep. at my wedding. But no favourites, so um, it's sort of me trying to put, put, put my stamp on things. So he, he, he went the opposite way. He, he didn't like that, so he went and played with Balgani, and I uh, had to find a, another another goalkeeper. And that's where I actually gave Dave Curley, um, yeah, uh, the renowned Dave Curley, come into, into the play. He was only um, 17, I think, and he was the only goalkeeper at the time. And he came in, and he, in, in my first year with Bal- uh, Tarawana there, we, we made the, the pre-season cup final. Um, with Coniston against Coniston they were a very good time they were Gussie Gussie Master by that stage had gone to Coniston they bet us 4 on the ground and I had to throw Dave Curley in the deep end um, um, because I didn't have a goalkeeper Um, so Charlie went the other way and yeah so um, I've got to say I did find it a little bit difficult there um, having coaching uh, teammates and things like that additionally Dave Curley gives his insight about Graham Edwards leaving Tarawana to go to Bowgowney Rangers in 1981, and how he subsequently made his first grade debut in that year at the age of 15, after breaking his leg in 1980. Uh, Graham Edwards, by this stage in his career, had a reputation of, I'm not coming to training, look at that, he just didn't come to training. And, and somehow uh, Dennis Patterson put up with that, and he still came along every week and was brilliant. But when Dave Naylor took over, as the coach in 81, he was very, no, you don't train, you don't play. And this is old mates, you know, uh, Charlie and Dave. And Charlie was, well, I'll stuff you then. And he, he, he actually went and played for Bally and actually went to training. 
<laughs> a few times. I think Bailey were in second division. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, anyway, so Dave stood tough, you know. And just as it, for some reason, there wasn't even a reserve grade keeper there. And he was this 15-year-old kid who'd played five games in under eight a year before, before he broke his leg. Um, and, we, and coming back from a broken leg. And coming leg. back from a broken leg. But sometimes that youth, youthful naivety is a good thing. Because I think I was, I was tougher and braver when I was 16 than I am now. Um, but anyway, so Dave was not you're the only keeper here. You're good enough, you're playing. And so I pl- we actually got to the final of the Cornwall Leagues knockout. We, we lost to Coniston, uh, to Bob Fryer's Coniston. Now back to 1981. And the other important story on the June the 16th in the Illawarra Mercury was that Wollongong Wolves midfielder Paul Kay was selected yesterday in the Australian Youth Squad to play three games in New Caledonia in preparation for the World Youth Cup later this year. Another Illawarra product, David Skeen, who plays with St George, has also been named in the 17-man squad, selected by national coach Les Scheinflug. The squad will travel to Numea on June the 24th for three games, and Scheinflug will later announce another squad to go into camp for the Youth Cup. Rated the biggest sporting event ever staged in Australia since the 1956 Olympic Games, the series starts on October the 3rd, with the final being played on October the 18th. Kay recently joined Wollongong from St George and was in the Australian youth team which was eliminated from the last series in Paraguay. He has a long international record with the youth team and Sean Flug regards him as a key player in Australia's Cup bid. Representative centre-half Greg McPherson has left Coniston and returned to First Division Russellvale. He left Russellvale at the end of last season but couldn't settle down with Coniston. In reserve grade for most of the time, the big defender cost his old club $600 to buy him back. On Thursday the 18th of June, Phil Murphy does his IPL and Wollongong City previews. This week there wasn't any previews for the state league teams, Wollongong United and Ferry Meadow, but here we go in regards to the Wolves. Everton and England centre forward Bob Latchford is expected to play in Brisbane Lions side to meet Wollongong City in Sunday's Phillips Soccer League clash at Wollongong Showground. Lions secretary Laurie Quiddendink yesterday said Latchford's hamstring injury has responded to treatment this week and he is keen to play against Wollongong. Latchford has been included in the squad to make the trip and coach Joe Gilroy wants him to start the game up front. Latchford's appearance should boost the attendance for Sunday and maintain City's average gate of around 4,500. One of the leading scorers in the English First Division over recent years, Latchford is with Brisbane Club for six weeks. The teams go into Sunday's game level on 17 points. Wollongong coach Ken Morton yesterday had a special session with frontrunner Clive Campbell. Campbell has had three games back in the side since his World Cup stint with New Zealand, and Morton expects a big effort from him on Sunday. It is obvious Campbell and Peter Trednick will have to be at their best to create chances against the tight Lions defence. Campbell had problems making an impression against the Lions defence in the first round game. Meantime, Morton last night went on a spying mission to Marconi Oval to watch Marconi play Newcastle in a deferred match. Wollongong play Newcastle at home in two weeks and Morton said he was keen to see if new coach Ray Bartz had changed the team's pattern of play. In regards to Premier League, Coniston striker Steve Quirk will be on a hat-trick of hat-tricks when he takes the field against Tarawana in Premier League soccer at Kelly Park on Saturday. 
The young striker had a miserable start to the season, but has struck top form in recent weeks. He has scored eight goals in the last three games, grabbing three against both Oak Flats and Blamby in the past two weeks. Tarawana go into the game after an impressive 3-0 win against Blamby, and they also have a striker in the hat-trick mood, Phil Scott. Coromel could be without Graham Funnel for their game against Oak Flats at Panorama Oval on Saturday. Funnel was injured late in Saturday's scoreless draw with Shellhaven, and yesterday was receiving treatment for a nasty leg injury. His place could be taken by Steve Royal, who is back after missing one game through holidays. Berkeley are away to Cringilla on Saturday, and anything could happen because Cringilla are so unpredictable. Cringilla turned on some good football to hold Shell Harbour 3-3 at the weekend, but lacked consistency. The other Saturday games are Lysarts vs Shell Harbour and Balambi vs Fernhill, while Shellhaven are at home to Bulleye on Sunday. And here we have, on Monday, June the 22nd, the Illawarra Mercury reports on the games that were played over the weekend. Wollongong City managed to create just two clear scoring chances in the space of 90 minutes and still salvage a one-all draw in yesterday's Phillips Soccer League match against Brisbane Lions at Wollongong Showground. In terms of attacking football, it was probably City's dullest performance of the season, with the Lions looking a far more dangerous outfit up front. Wollongong again served up some good football in midfield, but looked ordinary when it came to the final pass around the edge of the penalty area. They pumped a few high balls into the box, which never troubled goalkeeper Nigel Lowndes or the Brisbane defenders. The two scoring chances fell to Jim McBreen and fullback Peter Willis. Fortunately for City, McBreen made the most of his opportunity. City's goal came 17 minutes into the second half with the home side trailing and having incurred a few boos from the crowd at half-time. The ball came in from the left and McBreen turned on it and hit a great first-time shot past Lowndes. The goal seemed to spur City on for a while, but the Brisbane defence never really looked like cracking, until Willis had his chance with eight minutes left. Willis overlapped on the right to run onto a bouncing ball from John Fleming, which just cleared the head of Lions defender Jim Hermiston. This left Willis with a clear shot with only Lowndes to beat, but he shot well wide. The Lions had taken the lead five minutes before the break when live wire winger Craig Lowe emphasised the lack of base in the Wollongong defence. He left two defenders standing as he burst clear and sent in a rocket, giving goalkeeper Jim Preston no chance. Lowe was a constant menace to the City defence with his speed and ball control. Hermiston and Colin Bennett were always safe at the back for the visitors and the midfield made few mistakes. Lions coach Joe Gilroy put evidence striker Bob Latchford on to replace John Ogden in the second half, but he made little headway against Chris Dunleavy and Arno Batonia. Ken Morton said after the game he felt his team's midfield had done well. I thought they put it together well, particularly in the second half. But we certainly have problems up front, he said. Dunleavy was probably Wollongong's best player, while Fleming showed his skills in midfield and McBreen covered a lot of ground in a fetch and carry role. City's next home game is against Newcastle and officials were banking on a good win yesterday to ensure a good crowd. It would be safe to say they lost a few admirers among the crowd of 3,748, which watched yesterday's draw. Wollongong City's 10th from 18 games. 
On to State League, Ferry Meadow continued their promotion challenge when they outclassed University three goals to nil in yesterday's First Division soccer clash at David Phillips Field. Ferry Meadow went to an early lead and dictated terms for most of the match. It was one-way traffic after Steve Baker put the coast side ahead after four minutes and University's defence had to work overtime to keep the score 1-0 to half-time. The second goal didn't come until the 75th minute and was the first scored by Tony Charnock since he joined the club. He took a good ball from midfielder Alan Davini and made no mistake from close range. Mickey White played alongside Alan Davini at Ferry Meadow. This is what he says about Alan the player. He was unbelievable, just naturally gifted player. I was never a gifted player, but he was a gifted player. And what position did he He, did he, he was play? middle of midfield and he'd just oh. run the show. He'd run the show. Yep. He boxed the box, absolutely fantastic. And he, he, he got called up to the AIS okay. in Canberra and was training with the, training with the Australian so-called, you know, there might have been 30 players there, yeah, but yeah. he was part of it. We head back to the 1981 commentary. Two minutes later, Ferry Meadow were awarded a penalty when University defender Jim Lyons handled and Graeme Gardner scored from the spot kick. The win keeps Ferry Meadow in the thick of the promotion battle, but Wollongong United, surprisingly, were held to a scoreless draw by lowly Reesby. The game was played at Reesby on Saturday and was a disappointing result for United. It was a game coach Mike Johnson thought his team would win, but the forward line didn't take advantage of their chances. The Wollongong team looked the more polished combination in midfield, but missed too many chances and paid the penalty. Blacktown, Eugle and Karingai all won their games on the weekend, so United are the only team from the top five to drop a point. Over to the IPL, and Coromel midfielder Steve Royal proved a week on the Gold Coast and a shave can work wonders when he starred in his team's 3-2 win over Oak Flats in the Premier League Soccer at Panorama Oval on Saturday. Royal was outstanding in midfield for Coromel and blasted home a 20-metre drive to net the winning goal and take his team within a point of the league. After a week on holidays and having shaved off his beard, Royal came back into the side to replace Graham Funnel, who is sidelined with a knee injury. Oak Flats provided spirited opposition, but Coromel led 2-1 at the interval. The visitors also scored through centre-half Graeme Dean and Doug Seymour, while David Ingram netted twice for Oak Flats. With Berkeley having lost to Cringilla, the Coromel side are a point off the lead and firing well at a crucial stage of the season. Berkeley went down 2-1 to Cringilla at Cream Park, again failing on a wet ground. Striker George Timov and Frank Brakonofsky scored for Kringilla, with Jim Wright replying for Berkeley. Shell Harbour officials were critical of the referee in their 3-0 win over Lysart's at Lysart's Recreation Ground. They claimed the referee awarded a penalty for handball in the closing seconds, but then blew the final whistle and went to walk off. He was surrounded by players and persuaded to stay on and allow the kick to be taken. Shell Harbour always looked the stronger of the two teams and were rewarded with two goals from Barney King and another from Phil Mowbray. Shell Harbour spokesman Otto Bader said after the game his club felt the standard of refereeing was poor in all three grades. Fernhill kept their third spot on the table with a 4-2 win over Blamby at Elizabeth Park. Blamby put up a good struggle 
and both their goals came from the boot of veteran Fritz Heaven. The speed Fernhill usually show in attack wasn't evident in the wet conditions, but striker Peter Thompson grabbed two goals. Gordon Mitchell and Joe Crino completed the scoring for Fernhill. A goal by Coniston coach Robert Fryer was enough to give his side a 1-0 win over Tarawana at Kelly Park. Tarawana lost fullback Wayne Bradford with a shoulder injury during this match. In yesterday's clash, at Bomaderry Oval, Shellhaven retained their high place on the table by beating Bulleye two goals to one. And as part of his weekly soccer scene articles where there's little snippets from Phil Murphy, here are a few that he published on June the 23rd in the Illawarra Mercury and in the Australian Soccer Weekly on the same date. Berkeley coach Bob Evans doesn't want any more rain this season. He was quoted as saying, We get bogged down in the wet and can't take advantage of our strengths. Berkeley have been the surprise packet of the Premier League, having taken the early lead with no really big names. Evans is doing a great job with his side and relies a lot on the ball skills of Roberto Hernandez, who transferred from Marilla Wanderers in the off-season. The speed of John Sekolowski up front is another big factor in Berkeley's success. Ferry Meadow secretary Walter Chishkan likes a night out, but he's glad his Tuesday night trips to Sydney have ended. Chishkan had to make the trip three weeks in a row recently after three Ferry Meadow players were sent off in as many weeks. As he has to represent the players at the judiciary hearings, Chishkan was becoming well known to the judiciary members. A former top state league goalkeeper is doing a fine administrative job for the club this year, his first season. West Victory are walking away with the Illawarra First Division title and scoring a heap of goals on the way. They recently earned a $50 bonus from coach Luke Robard when they beat Rarilla Wanderers 8-1 but just missed out on another $50. Robard told the players the extra money would be placed on the bar at Western Suburbs Leeds Club if they scored 10 goals. Robard claims they should have taken the money because they missed a few easy chances. He said he would have to give them more shooting practice. Wollongong United are still short of goalkeepers, but their treatment of under-19 keeper Graham McKenda leaves a lot to be desired. McKenda's father will today front the United committee to find out why his son was allegedly stood over to be a replacement for first grade at Reesby on Saturday. The schoolboy played in the under-19 and reserve grade games and was asked to sit on the bench for first grade. He refused, saying he felt too tired and thought he had done his bit for the club particularly as he is still an amateur. The boy has been playing two games to help the club out and United should have at least three goalkeepers on their staff if they have any hopes of promotion to State League. Dapto's Bruno German didn't know whether to laugh or cry after Saturday's 2-1 win over Winuna. Dapto were 1-0 down at half-time and were reduced to 10 men after having a player sent off. They fought back well in the second half, with German getting two goals to give them a 2-1 win. His second goal came from a penalty, and it seems he then made an ungentlemanly gesture to the crowd and was given a yellow card. The booking took him over the limit, and he now must cool his heels for the next two weeks. Helensburg managed only a point in their game against Port Kembla on Saturday, but they did it the hard way. The Berg brought back memories of the old days, when they had three players sent from the field by referee Vince Cowsey. The old fighting spirit is still there, and the side managed to hold Paul Kembler at 4-4.
They're calling Phil Torpy the Greg Hartley of Illawarra soccer after Saturday's Coniston Tarawana game. It got a little too close to the play and ended up on the ground. At least it brightened up a cold and wet afternoon. On Sunday, he was in trouble again, running the line at a Sydney lower division game in which there was a major disturbance and police were called. Wollongong City fans had a quick look at the teams in their programs after an incident in the second half of Sunday's game against Brisbane Lions. City forward Clive Campbell was battling away against the strong Lions defence without much success when a voice from the grandstand yelled, Go back to New Zealand, Turner. The ill-informed supporter obviously thought Campbell was his Kiwi teammate Brian Turner. For his information, Turner played with Blacktown on Sunday and he's paying the Wolves 5000 for the transfer. A separate article by Phil Murphy again on the 23rd of June states Illawarra Youth in tune for New South Wales title. The cream of Illawarra's young soccer talent will be on show during the CHS State Championships in Wollongong next week. Illawarra will field one of the strongest teams in history and are one of the early favourites to take the title. As the host, Illawarra is able to field two teams, ten other regions will take part. Spokesman Fred Smith yesterday said most of the Illawarra A-side play with Wollongong City Youth Team or District Clubs. They include Ray Valestra, Kevin O'Donnell, Tony Skander, Peter Kotomanitis, Zifka Haristovsky, Andrew Williams and Stephen Sargison. Illawarra's top team has drawn against Metropolitan West, Riverina, North Coast, Northwest and The Hunter in the Round Robin series. These games will be played at Balgowney on Tuesday and Memorial Park Wednesday. The top two teams in each group then go into the semi-finals and finals at Balgowney on Thursday. In the Australian Soccer Weekly on the 23rd of June, there were three stories about the Wollongong Wolves. Wollongong Wolves have signed promising centre-half Zivko Hristovsky as a professional. Still to turn 16, the youngster already is captain of the Wolves youth team. He shows outstanding potential for his age, and in the team's recent win over leaders Leichhardt, he had an excellent game. National coach Les Scheinflug watched the second half and would certainly have the youngster marked down in his little black book for the future. Neville Arrowsmith has resigned as manager of the Wollongong youth squad. He has given the role up because he has sold his bike shop and taken on a job which involves working weekends. Arrowsmith is a foundation director of the club and has a long history in Illawarra soccer as a player and official. A goalkeeper in his playing days, he later was elected president of the Illawarra Soccer Association. He'll be carrying on as a director with the Wolves. A Wollongong Wolves fullback Jeff Ainsworth carries a smart-looking briefcase with him on away games these days. Teammates were puzzled at first and thought he was carrying the money for meals, but it turned out to be a backgammon set. Ainsworth is doing quite well out of the game, but midfielder Lee Adam is wishing he had left it at home during the recent trip away to Footscray. It seems Lee lost his pocket money on the flight to Melbourne and plans to buy a novel for future trips. It won't cost as much. On Friday the 26th of June, Phil Murphy then details two articles, one about the CHS Championships and the other being a follow-up to the goalkeeping issue at Wollongong United. In regards to the South Coast team and the CHS Championships, six South Coast players were named in the state CHS squad to contest the Australian Championships in Melbourne after yesterday's New South Wales final at Balgownie Oval. South Coast beat Central Metropolitan 1-0 
in their final to avenge their loss to the same side in last year's final game. The game was something of a disappointment after the two teams had turned on champagne football over the three days. The taller, stronger South Coast side always looked to have an edge over their Sydney opponents, but didn't score their goal until 14 minutes into the second half. It came after fullback Tony Skander floated across, in from the right, and striker Kevin O'Donnell was well positioned to head home. There were few scoring opportunities in this game, but with the advantage of the wind in the second half, South Coast kept play in Central Metropolitan's half. Centre-back combination Ray Valestra and Zivko Hristovsky were sound for South Coast, while Skander also played well. In midfield, Ian Drain was constructive and won a lot of the ball, and Anthony Wellburn had a big second half. In regards to the Wollongong United goalkeeping situation, the father of a Wollongong United soccer player has claimed his son is now being severely pressured by the club. Mr Brian McCander said yesterday United coach Mike Johnson was destroying his son Brian's interest in the game by attempting to force him to play in the first grade team. Mr McCander's statement follows United's match at Reesby last Sunday when Graham refused to sit on the bench for the first grade match because he was too tired having just played two matches. Johnson allegedly told McCander he would be prevented from playing in the under-19 side if he didn't act as a first grade reserve. Mr McCander believes Johnson has pressured Graham in his bid to find a suitable first grade goalkeeper. Graham is 15 and an amateur player, Mr McCander said. He does not want to play first grade and Johnson is destroying his interest in the game by insisting he play first grade or act as a reserve. Mr McCander said if Graham had to leave the club because of his refusal to reserve for the first grade team, he would. Johnson retaliated yesterday by claiming that Graham McCander was passing up a tremendous opportunity for a young player. He is not supporting his club or his team by refusing to play in the first grade side when needed, Johnson said. Although this shows Mike Johnson had a hard side to his personality, there was another side to him, a life teacher. And players like Paul Droughty learned life lessons from the man. Here Paul explains what he means by that. The one thing I remember too, Travis, is I remember Mike Johnson saying to us, because he, he wasn't only a coach, he was like he'd sit us down and talk to you about your goals, your life, you know, and about life as well as oh, okay. um, you know, where you want to be in five years, where you want to be next year, where you want to be in ten years. So, you know, that was that was a learning experience, not 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 a soccer learning experience, a life learning experience. And he, he, he taught us, you know, about you know, having goals and achieving your goals. You know, that's why he was just just on another level. He was so different. And um, he he was actually, I think it was New South Wales or Australia's top salesman for AMP insurance okay. uh, back in the days when he was coaching us. Yeah, he took he had an office up in Miranda, multi, multi-story office there. Had all these certificates for what he's done in his life. And, um, and his goal was always to coach Australia. That was his goal. He'd tell us that all the time, you know, before a training session, you know. And um, so he, he he taught us all about goals and, you know, life experience and all that sort of stuff too. So, yeah, it was more than soccer with him too. It was, you know, it was about, about life experience too. And, um, you know, that's why we a lot of us respected him, you know, because he, he was tough, but he was he taught us a lot of lessons. We head back to the 1981 commentary. 
Additionally, there was another story about Wollongong United supporters came up with 5000 for coach Mike Johnson to buy a striker in time for Sunday's vital first division clash with Ferry Meadow at Berkeley Sports Ground. Club spokesman Lou Markowski said the supporters were disappointed after Saturday's scoreless draw with bottom-of-the-table Reesby. He said a special meeting was called and the money donated by the committee and supporters. At the meeting, it was decided we have to have a striker for the game against Ferry Meadow. If we lose it, it could mean the end of our promotion hopes, Markovsky said. The money was put up and now we are hoping our coach can get the right man. Johnson yesterday said it was a hard task to find a striker at this stage of the season. Transfers close on Tuesday and I made a few inquiries without any success, he said. I agree with the committee, we should have won the Reesby game. We outplayed them everywhere but couldn't get a goal. Ferry Meadow, in contrast, have been netting plenty of goals. In Graeme Gardner and Steve Baker, they have a striking combination which will fully test the United defence. Coach Hugh Tinney isn't expected to make any changes in his lineup, and Ferry Meadow are expected to start favourites in a game tipped to attract a large crowd. The two teams are sharing third place on 24 points, with Karingai leading on 27 and Blacktown on 26 points. The loser of the local derby is almost certain to drop out of the promotion race. There was a scare in the United camp earlier this week when big centre-half Chris Talevsky was thought to be under suspension. Club officials thought he had received four yellow cards, but a check with the New South Wales Soccer Federation revealed the figure was only three. On Saturday, June the 27th, we have a preview of the three tiers of football in the Illawarra. Firstly, Wollongong City soccer coach Ken Morton says the only way he can win his battle of words with Blacktown City coach Arali Rasich is for the team to come away from the Gabby Stadium with two points tomorrow. The controversy between the coaches started after the teams played in Wollongong early this season and Rasich adopted offside tactics. The crowd booed Rasich and his team from the field and Morton said Rasich's tactics could only result in falling attendances. Since then, there have been suggestions of a feud between the two coaches and this will add a bit extra to tomorrow's clash. To make it even more interesting, Morton is certain to play in the Wollongong attack and has a chance to answer Rasich with a goal or two. He still hadn't finished his line-up yesterday but said he was certain to play up front with John Lathan. I feel this is the best way to find a way past the Rasich offside trap. We failed when they turned it on in Wollongong, but it will be different this time, Morton said. John Lathan and I will be holding the ball and trying to strike it just right for Peter Trednick and Jim McBreen to make runs from midfield. If we can get an early goal, it will mean Blacktown will have to come out at us, and I don't think they're well equipped to do this. With John Fleming suspended for the game, Bill DeGraff gets his chance to regain his place in the sweeper's role. Captain Chris Dunleavy will be at left fullback with Jeff Ainsworth in midfield. Morton has been considering switching Ainsworth to the midfield for some time. He feels he will be a ball winner in this role and his distribution is good. But on paper, I feel we are a much stronger team, even with Fleming out. Attacking midfielder Peter Trednick is one Wollongong player who wants to do well tomorrow. He has lost the attacking brilliance he showed earlier in the season and desperately wants to find form against Blacktown, with the Newcastle game coming up a week later. The position of goalkeeper will be decided tomorrow, with Jim Preston and Nach Vardaref the candidates.
In regards to the State League local derby, the striking power of Graham Gardner and Steve Baker will give Ferry Meadow a big advantage when they line up against Wollongong United in the First Division Soccer Decider at Berkeley Sports Ground tomorrow. With the two local teams sharing third place and the loser likely to drop out of the promotion battle, it will be vital that both teams make the most of their chances. This clash couldn't have come at a better time for Ferry Meadow because they are playing well, while United had to be content with a scoreless draw against Lowly Reesby last week. United coach Mike Johnson makes no secret of the fact he'd love to have a gardener or baker in his attack. We are missing too many chances and let Reesby off the hook last week when we should have clearly won, he said. The club have given me money to buy a striker, but you just don't go out and get someone like that. My side have done very well when you consider we are struggling in pre-season games, but this is the game we have to win to have a chance of reaching State League next season. While Ferry Meadow have an edge up front, they also look to have the stronger midfield combination. Tony Charnock, Mick Richardson and Alan Davini are a lot more creative than their United opponents. With coach Hugh Tinney behind them urging them on, the trio will make certain Gardner and Baker get the right service. Goalkeeper Adrian Beck has settled into the Ferry Meadow side well, but United aren't lacking in this position. They have the talented Peter Terziowski, and there is very little between the teams in this department. Roberto Giraudi is Johnson's big hope of a win, as he is a proven match winner. Playing his usual role on the right wing, he is capable of finding gaps in the Ferry Meadow defence, and his confrontation with the rugged Richard Pieck will be important. If Giraudi can do his thing and cause problems at the back for Ferry Meadow, it will give Dean Gardner a chance to get goals. Here, Paul Giraudi speaks about how he felt playing against Ferry Meadow in the State League, a local derby. I found it okay. I mean, it was it was, um, it was, it was obviously a derby now. Yeah. Um, well, we're playing in the same comp, and um, it was always a good day to play. In. It was a good game to play because... Um, the crowds were always big. Macedonians, the Macedonians always supported us. We'd, we'd always have a couple of thousand people down at Berkeley Sports Ground. Yeah. And then come come uh, Ferry Meadow joining the league, you know, that would double, you know, with the Ferry Meadow supporters. And so th- I remember the first game at Clunas Oval, there was, I think there was around 4,000 people watching watching this, one of the first um, derbies. And, uh, yeah, it was just, just exciting to be, just to be part of it. Now let's return to 1981. And on to the IPL where Bulleye soccer coach Tony McDonald is hoping his players don't continue their habit of putting the ball in their own net when they take on Coromel in today's Premier League game at Memorial Park. McDonald said players have managed to score own goals in each of their last four games and the tally for the season is six. We have given enough gifts away this season and I want the boys to start getting a few at the other end, McDonald said. This will be no easy task against a Coromel team a point off the lead and with a strong defence. Tony McDonald's main worry is to avoid relegation and be able to strengthen the team next season. He said he had started with a handful of players and others came from all over the place. Goalkeeper Gary Hoswell was playing in the Business Houses League with the waterboard and we picked up Michael Taylor from the Steelworks competition, McDonald said. In addition, I've had to put promising youngsters Stephen Sargison and Warren Baker straight into the first grade. Baker is sidelined with a leg injury this week, but the Bulleye coach is confident his team can give Coromel a tough 90 minutes. He will be relying 
heavily on Steve Hanna and former Coldale winger Reg Brown to get goals. Kevin Lewis was at Bulleye in 1981, in reserve grade and first grade under Tony McDonnell. And here Kevin gives an insight into Tony, the coach. Tony came in um, 81. he come out from uh, Shalhaba. He used to run out from Shalhaba, Tony. Absolute Englishman. What a character, you know. We, we loved him, but he, was, he trained us like marathon runners, you know. Well, Tony used to run out from Shalhaba to the old bull, um, Bullice ground. I think Butchie Baker, Graham. People that aren't in the Illawarra, that that's is a, a fair, fair distance. That's, that's a run. That's a, and he used to, you know, and he used to jump in um, Butchie Baker's pool next to the ground, and then he's right, you know what I mean? Like, not a, I think just the weekends, like, you know, not train nights, yeah. but Tony was, a, what a character he was, and we loved him. He, 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 he trained us hard. <laughs> but we sort of used to getting that hard training, you know, it wasn't like, oh, goodness me, like, you know. I remember a game, and Tony gave me the first, First grade deb- debut, you know, in the field in that um, eighty-one year, half and sort of first grade and a bit of out in reserve grade. But uh, I remember the f- one of the first games he used to warm up with the new balls paddock is now. Yep. It was Hutton Park, and that was a, it's a warm-up area, you know. Yep. So Tony'd have us warming up. And I remember Coniston were playing in balls paddock. We hear this ref's whistle. This is three o'clock, and Tony's had us running around. You know, like, this is like a fifteen hundred meter warm-up. Like this is like you know a marathon, and we could hear the whistle, and you could see. Quick, get back to you know, you know, the game. So we've, oh, heck, stop and got on the field. Imagine the first 10 minutes. I mean, you know, we were just like getting our breath back. But it's uh, <laughs> what a character. And, and that year, reserves made the semis and, and first grade actually come second last. But Tony, Paul was Paul Hancock was our coach, reserve grade. Yep. And Tony, Paul's a great, great fellow, gentleman. And Tony said, I'll take over in the semis. And Paul, Paul's a great gentleman. Okay. No, fine, no, fine. Tony, <laughs> what a character he was. So I'll never forget... Um, during that week of the grand final, we made the, came from fourth, we had a couple of wins. So he turns up at train on the old balls pack at night time. He's got his Liverpool beanie on, scarf, he's got a rattle, and he's got, he said, I've got the Liverpool tapes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play these over the PA system to, to recreate the Wembley atmosphere for Memorial Park on Saturday. Yep. We looked at him like a... And we trained with all the Liverpool, oh, you never walk alone, all the yeah. music in the background, what the local neighbours would be thinking, I'll never know, just to recreate that Wembley atmosphere for, for the grand final. We were young, we didn't argue, you know, oh yeah. You know, mad is mad, but what a, what a character. We now head back to the 1981 commentary. Coromel expected to be unchanged after their 3-2 win over Oak Flats and must be expected to win on form. Berkeley are hanging on to a one-point lead at the top of the table, and today will be at home to Lysarts. Lysarts have been struggling recently, and it is hard to see them taking even a point from this game. Roberto Hernandez has been doing a lot of damage with his ball skills for Berkeley, and Lysarts don't appear to have anyone to contain him. At Taraji Park, Fernhill will be trying to stop Coniston making it seven wins in a row. Coach Robert Fryer yesterday said there would be no stopping Coniston from this point, and he feels confident of a win today. We have no injury problems and the attitude of the players is a lot better than early in the season, he said. Striker Steve Quirk has been getting plenty of goals, but we realise Fernil have a strong defence and will have to work hard to get through. Coniston have Quirk, but Fernil coach Daryl Glover is more than happy with the way his striker Peter Thompson has been going. Thompson grabbed another two goals in the 4-2 win over Blamby last week and his speed could upset Coniston's defence.
The other games today are Tarawana vs Oak Flats at Tarawana Oval and Shell Harbour vs Palambi. Tomorrow, Shellhaven will be at home to Cringilla, while three quarterfinals of the Bampton Cup will be played. Balgowny are at home to Shell Harbour, Bulleye play Dapto, and Fernhill take on Coniston for the second time in 24 hours. Here are the articles from the Illawarra Mercury on the 29th of June, detailing the Wolves game, the local derby in the State League between Ferry Meadow and Wollongong United, and the Illawarra Premier League games from the weekend. In regards to the Wollongong Wolves, Phil Murphy writes the following article. Peter Trednick turned what would have been an incident-packed scoreless draw into Wollongong City's first Phillips Soccer League win in eight weeks when he scored the only goal of the game against Blacktown at the Gabby Stadium yesterday. Trednick's goal came from a controversial free kick after 76 minutes and Blacktown supporters weren't too happy with Newcastle referee Jim Reeves. Reeves awarded the free kick 20 metres out and Trednick originally passed to Lee Adam, who failed to hit the target. The referee then ordered the kick to be retaken because the Blacktown wall appeared to encroach the 10 metres before the ball was kicked. For the re-kick, Trednick took Blacktown by surprise, striking the ball low himself, and it deflected off a defender into the net. Blacktown players probably deserved the point, but they had their chances and let them slip away. They were a far more attacking unit than the one which played the offside game in Wollongong. Former Newcastle winger Paul Burrows was a constant menace to Wollongong, and his struggle with Wolves fullback Peter Willis was a highlight of the game. Wollongong's new look back four with Arno Batonia and Bill de Graff combining for the first time was outstanding. They came through well after being under a lot of pressure, particularly early in the second half. Batonia emerged as the man of the match, while goalkeeper Natch Vardareff justified his return to the side. Vardareff was involved in a nasty incident near the end when Blacktown replacement Peter Jones almost took his head off. A spiteful kick at the goalkeeper's head just missed, but earned Jones a yellow card and it could have easily been red. Former Wollongong striker Brian Turner looked as if he would create havoc for Blacktown in the first 10 minutes. Batonia soon had the big striker's measure and Turner was hardly sighted after that. The former Newcastle centre-half dominated everything in the air and on yesterday's performance must rate among the best stoppers in the league. Before Trednick scored his goal, Jim McBreen had a chance to put the Wolves ahead. Trednick sent a low free kick in from the left, but McBreen failed to make contact with the goal at his mercy. Even when Wollongong got their goal, Blacktown continued to attack. The home team forced three corners in succession at this stage, but with their large contingent of supporters right behind them, Wollongong held on. Jeff Ainsworth seemed to appreciate his new role in midfield, while John Lathan took a lot of stick from the tall Blacktown defence but kept going back for more. Coach Ken Morton played in the first half as expected, but then replaced himself with Clive Campbell. In terms of the local derby in the State League, Phil Murphy reports that Wollongong United striker Roberto Giraldi gave his team a 1-0 win over Ferry Meadow in the First Division Coca-Cola Bottlers League match at Berkeley Sports Ground yesterday. Giraldi's goal resulted from a pass off midfielder Harry Satin, 
17 minutes into the second half of the game. United dominated the first half, playing with the wind, although Ferry Meadow defended well. Ferry Meadow put on an improved second half display and were unfortunate not to score several times. United coach Mike Johnson said goalkeeper Peter Terzioski played well for the side. He also said United's two centre-backs, Chris Kalevsky and Maurizio Montecchi, had good games. Wollongong United advanced to second position on the points table following their win. And on to the Illawarra Premier League, where Phil Murphy writes that Coniston took the hat around among supporters before Mick Skeen was cleared to play in Saturday's Illawarra soccer match against Fernhill. But the side failed to impress in a scoreless draw. Mick Skeen had played a number of games for Coniston, but a problem came up over his clearance from Wollongong United. The committee of Wollongong United said that they would let him go for $500, so Coniston collected the money at their ground before the under-19 fixture. After winning six games in a row, Coniston started the game favourites, but lacked punch in attack. Fernhill keeper Justin Norris didn't have to make a save in the first half. Players had difficulty with the bounce of the ball, but still tried to create slow build-ups in midfield. Fernhill only came to life in the last two minutes when they converged on the Coniston goal from all angles and could easily have snatched a win. Coniston goalkeeper Vasco Televsky was kept busy holding out the Fernhill forwards and Peter Beggs had to make a last-ditch header off the line from Peter Thompson in the closing seconds. Earlier in the half, Coniston coach Robert Fryer turned a bad back pass to Televsky and the keeper just managed to get the ball ahead of Steve Quinn. In other games, leaders Berkeley suffered yet another defeat when they went down 3-2 in an upset to Lysarts at Berkeley Sports Ground. Hero for Lysarts was striker Ian Johnson, who scored a hat-trick and turned in his best game of the season. Johnson was always a menace to the Berkeley defence, and his foraging up front was the main difference between the two teams. Berkeley have now come right back to the field and their goals were scored by Smith and Rohano. Coromel Rangers missed a chance to take a clear lead when they could only manage a scoreless draw with Bulleye at Memorial Park. In an even game, marred by the wind, Coromel had their chances but failed to capitalise on them. Shell Harbour made the most of the other team's dropping points by beating Balambi 3-0 at Barrack Heights. At Tarawana Oval, the home side finished level 1-1 with Oak Flats, David Naylor getting Tarawana's goal and Graham Smith replying for Oak Flats. And on the Sunday, there was three Bampton Cup quarterfinals that were played. Shell Harbour Workers 3 defeated Bowgani Rangers 0. Bulleye 2 defeated Dapto 1. And in the last quarterfinal, Fernhill 2 defeated Coniston 0. And there we have it, the end of episode 63, where I took you back to June 1981. Hopefully the reporting, predominantly by Phil Murphy, gave you an insight and let you reminisce about the three tiers of football and what was happening in the Illawarra for the month of June in 1981. You may not have got through to the end, as my voice may have been too much for you over the course of this two hours, 
But if you did, I'd like to thank you for listening and downloading this episode. I sincerely appreciate it. I'm your host, Travis. Goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.